Hello and welcome to Media May, the show in which we year by year explore the movies, music, and TV that most invented our lives. I'm your host, a shoulder angel, Rod, and I'm joined by... <laughs> Jess, a name that means something. Yeah. Hey everybody, it's the new millennium. Ooh, 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 we made it. Y2K didn't kill us all, no one exploded. Yeah, yeah, the computers didn't fail. Uh, the nuclear, I mean, the, computers fail all the time. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> it didn't cause a you know nuclear catastrophe of, of any kind. Yeah. Uh, before we get too far into that, let me explain what the show is for anyone new. So Jess and I, what we do is we talk movies, music, and TV. Today is a movie episode, and we looked at a list of every film released in the year 2000. Oh. And uh, we decided which one each of us had watched the most in our lives. Like, we've seen it the most. Okay. Mm. Uh if you're uh, used to the show by now, you, my, my, my movie's not hard to, uh, it's not a surprise. <laughs> if you way. go through a list of movies that came, notable movies that came out that year, you're going to know. I mean, even before you've already seen the thumbnail for this. Yeah, you know, when you're eight years old, you know, uh, only certain movies appeal to you. <laughs> Usually they're cartoons. Mm. And uh, this year is no, you know, no different. No different at all. Yep. For those of you who are not new and may not have it listened to the end of our QQ's episode and are wondering, why haven't we seen you guys for a month? Heard heard you. What? Oh, that too. You've probably seen us. Well, maybe you haven't. But um, just, you know, just in case. I don't, I don't want to be added. Yeah. If you, <laughs> if you didn't listen to the, uh, the end of our last episode, uh, we did announce that we're going monthly. Yeah. So we're having a new episode at the beginning of every month. First Thursday of every month. Because why? We have grown-up jobs to pay for our grown-up bills so we can cry our grown-up tears. Yep. Uh, so this is the first episode uh, of our monthly schedule. Mm -hmm. And uh, from now on, it'll be like that. But anyway, New Year, Year 2000. New Year, New You. And uh, as with all New Years, I ask you, where were you in the year 2000? How was the millennium treating you? It was great. My family was whole. The country wasn't at war. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> not funny <laughs> um i don't remember much you know i'm real bad with memories uh i think i was in the i had to have been in the sixth grade in 2000 yeah you were 11 yes yes i was i, I can't remember lots but i i know that i was i was i was in the seventh grade the next year <laughs> so uh wait yeah. sixth grade you're, that's middle school isn't it yeah so you were in middle school i'm a middle schooler we're not going to talk about you and how young you are i we've already said it I'm in middle school. I'm a big kid now, and I make my own rules. I'm wearing peasant tops because they are in, uh, but they don't look good on me, so I don't wear them often, even though I made my mom buy me a bunch for way too much money. Um, I am now in a school with a lot of new people, and I start actually making friends for the first time. No longer have to wear a uniform. Yeah, I no longer have to wear a uniform, which is great. And um, even though... I, there's a lot that I don't remember from this portion of my life, my middle school years, which, you know, is a little scary because I remember the terrible, terribleness That's that the same was. for everybody. Middle school is the same for everybody. It's horrible for almost everybody. Yes, but we remember how bad my elementary school years were. So the fact that those aren't blocked out, I'm like, what happened? The hormones took over. The hormones. Well, I was in the third grade, I believe. Yes, yes. I said started the third grade in the year 2000. Um I was probably riding a lot of Razor scooter, as as most kids were in the year 2000. You know, everyone was riding a scooter, and everybody was getting their shins knocked by scooters. Uh, like what? What? 
You've never like picked up a, like a razor screwdriver, oh, yeah, like yeah, swung, sw- swung around and hit, yeah, yeah, and then your whole life is over for about five minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can dig it. Um, what else was I doing? Uh, my, I, like I, there were a lot of extracurriculars I was doing at the time. Mm. Like I had already started doing martial arts. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents were crazy enough to also let me do uh, Boy Scouts at the same time. Oh wow! Yeah, or Cub Scouts. I was, they I was, really wanted you to come out of your shell. I was a Cub Scout, uh, and when I was a Cub Scout, a lot of it was we, if if there was an event at my house or my friend Kyle's house, we would retreat to the upstairs <laughs> to get away from everyone. Yes, and play uh, Nintendo sixty four or something. Fair. That I was, mean, that was the plan. You know, we didn't want to look in telescopes or have a bonfire. We wanted to play Nintendo. And that has not changed. Nope. I, I, <laughs> a lot of the time, I would rather just be playing Nintendo. That's true. Do we have a Nintendo? Yes. We've got a Switch. That's a Nintendo. A Nintendo. It's the only Nintendo we own. Wait, is the Wii a Nintendo? Yeah. Oh. We own multiple Nintendos. <laughs> we own two. Ni. That's the word for two in Ichi. Ni. Nintendo. There's two. Yep. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, so... Not a lot, not a lot going on in the year 2000 in terms of like world events. Uh, a certain a certain president had been elected uh, under controversial circumstances. Like you look into that whole that whole debacle, and it's like pretty crazy what what happened. The recount. Yeah, freaking Florida mm. can't get their stuff together, and they couldn't decide on well, do we count these ones? Well, Florida can get their stuff together now. Uh. <laughs> Twenty years later, hi kids from Florida. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> it was a watershed moment in Florida. They never recovered. Never recovered. They were never the same. Yeah, but there wasn't. I mean, I mean, there was a lot going on, obviously, but not anything that we cared about as like eight-year-olds you know, and eleven-year-olds. What was it? it? Was it was Bush and Gore, right? Mm. I remember the only thing that I knew about either candidate. Like I, I was like, I was, a, I, I was eight years old. I didn't know anything, right? But I had heard from a friend of a friend of a friend. It's like Al Gore. He likes professional wrestling. <laughs> and I didn't even like professional wrestling, but like I thought, oh, man, Al Gore, he must be a cool guy. Wow. Just like Clinton was cool because of his saxophone. Yeah. I think I knew about climate change. I don't know. I've literally never cared about politics. But guess what this podcast is about, guys? It's about movies. <laughs> and we're going to start with Jess's movie of the year 2000. Uh, I came from It's like we're, we're, we're starting with the heavier subject matter. We're going to go and have fun in the second segment, I guess. Excuse me. This There's mo- nothing heavy about this. This movie gets heavy. This movie's not even. What do you mean heavy? Let's talk about it. <laughs> Released April 28th, 2000. Written by Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel. Excellent. Directed by Matt Williams. Starring Stalker Channing, Ashley Judd, Joan Cusack, and Natalie Portman. Based on the book of the same name by Billy Letts. That is Where the Heart Is. See? TV. They've been here all night. What for? For you. I want to talk to you. Me? Of course, everybody wants to talk to the mother of the Walmart baby. Am I in trouble? They're going to arrest me. What for? For living in the Walmart. For living in the Walmart. <laughs> That's the one you chose to open with rather than the line that actually says yes. the, the movie title in it? Because I have... Uh, I, I don't, I've never seen this movie before, <laughs> meeting you. Like, I'd never heard of it. Uh, but... 
I had heard about it on a podcast where they talked about this movie, and the only topic of discussion regarding this movie in that podcast was how it was the movie where the girl lives in the Walmart. Wow. She only lives in the Walmart for like... 30 minutes. Less. less yeah, less than 30 like minutes. Like 15 to 20 minutes of that movie is her living in a Walmart. But it's the most memorable plot point in the movie. Incorrect. Natalie Portman lives in the Walmart. Incorrect. I mean, she does. Well, no, no. Natalie Portman doesn't live in a Walmart. She makes far too much money to live in a Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> Natalie Portman's character lives at a Walmart. Yes. Anyway, what the heck is this movie and why did you watch it so much? Um, this is a movie based on a book <laughs> about uh it's like it spans like f- 6 to 5 years of what of a person's just, yeah, life. Yeah, like 6 years. Yeah. Yeah, it it just it's like a uh, slice of life <laughs> except worse, right? Like in manga terms, it's slice of life, but it's it's not happy. It's uh It's just like the it's like the story of one person's life really. Yeah, know? I or mean, like you follow an it's an important chapter in her life. It's an important chapter of the main character's life, but it also like talks a lot about the connections that you make, right? So it's like it's about her life technically, but she interacts with a lot of people and you see their lives and how da da da. It's like Natalie Portman plays a character named Novoli and Novoli just has Many trials and tribulations, you know, successes As one and does in their early 20s. Yeah. She has a baby at a Walmart. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's a great movie, kids. You should it's definitely like watch it. It's like set in like a small town in Oklahoma. So it has very like, you know, middle America feels. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of like, it reminds me of Forrest Gump a lot. Like in terms of like just its sentimentality, it, like, you know, it spans many years. The difference is I hate Forrest Gump. Uh, middle American sensibilities, you know, American Pie, that kind of thing. That's different. Not, not the movie American <laughs> Pie, but like the the sensi- good old you know, fashioned American Pie yeah. that you eat. Uh, white picket fence America. White America. <laughs> that's a that's an Eminem song. Oh, white America. Oh my gosh. Anyway, yeah. Why did you watch this movie? Because this movie, uh, you were you were what eleven years old? <laughs> yeah. This movie would not have uh, would not have appealed to me at eleven years old. I'll tell you that. <laughs> a lot of eleven year olds are like, "Why are you watching that?" So, wh- where did you discover this movie? Why uh, Why is it your movie? Look here, kids. When you have kids, and if you ever decide to have cable, and just let your kids have a TV in the room, they're just gonna find a lot of stuff they probably shouldn't. Um, it was like a stars thing. Are you watching? I, yeah, it was like on stars or HBO or Encore, Cinemax. Like I watched them all. I I cannot tell you for a majority. I like I cannot tell you why I picked it up. But uh, having watched it one time, I watched it many times after. Is this the movie you've seen it. the most in your life? I don't know. I have no idea. I really would tell, have to. You tell stories about how you and your sisters watched this to death. We did. We watched it a lot. But like, you know, it was really interesting. I rewatched this uh, with both of my sisters like six months ago, maybe. This movie? Yeah. Oh, okay. And um, Dawn, my sister right under me, was like, oh my gosh, I love this movie. It's been so long. We're sitting and watching it. But my youngest sister, Sam, was like, what is this? I've never seen this in my life. And we both looked at her. Like the liar she was, but she didn't remember it. But like we watched this all the time. Dawn and I were both sitting there, like quoting in time with accuracy and accents and just the the flow of the things. We we're like, yep. And she and Sam was looking at us like, what is this? 
was like, no, you've definitely seen this movie. But it was like a new experience to her because I guess we watched it when we were so young. Like both of my sisters are younger than me. <laughs> so my Dawn definitely remembered it. Um, but Sam, maybe she was watching it way too young. <laughs> yes, I, I would. I would agree with that. She's five years younger than me. Because like the subject matter in this movie, go like there's there's some serious stuff that happens. You know, not, yeah. not it's not it's not like super serious all the time, but it drops some like oh wow that's yeah. that's a thing. Yeah, that, and there, that's a horrible tragedy that's happened. Yeah, and I will say that there are some things that I up, until watching it um, in rewatching it in college. I've obviously watched it between now and my end of college but i remember having uh, a friend and i was like oh my gosh i love this movie it was on oh i think i bought it because i was uh on dvd because sometimes i had a huge dvd collection did you buy it at the walmart yes actually <laughs> uh and walmart i like bargain bin the big one yeah probably and um i was watching it with a friend and some of the parts that hit like she started like crying and i like because my brain is just like oh i just like this movie it like it, I like was like, why is she? And then it clicked for me what was actually happening uh, in certain scenes that like just went way over my head when I was a kid. Praise the Lord. And I was like, this is horrifying. Yep. This is horrifying. Do I still watch it? Did I take that DVD, continue to watch it, and then give it to a different friend saying, hey, this is a really good movie. Go ahead. Like, I will spend more money to buy this. Like, you know, I don't have that DVD over there because I definitely gave it away to someone. Um, but I I don't know. It's just like one of those things that, that drew me that like sit. I don't want to say sit heavily upon who I am. Like, but a lot of it probably built some of the stuff that I am. I find it funny that this and one other movie, um, you have had the audacity to look me straight in my face and go, like, why were you watching this? Why did you watch this so many this times? This one less so than the other one you're talking about. Because <laughs> this one, at least for the most part, it's like it's it's strictly a PG like sentiment. It's it almost feels like a lifetime movie with a budget. Yeah, it does. Um, but then, you know. They get the the one non-sexual F word in there. So it yeah. bumps it up to PG-13. And then they start dropping some like, oh, wow, that's that, that's pretty serious yeah. stuff. You know, like that's some adult stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Where's the other movie? You're yeah, like, the other movie is just like, <laughs> R, hard, not hard R, but like strict R. Yeah. Know? But yeah, yeah this one. I, get, I can understand it. Like, it's weird. Sometimes you just, like, pick up on something and it's just like, it's your movie. It's you know? my movie. I love this movie. It's like, I, I'm trying to think of like. It was one of my runners up one of those years, but it was Liar Liar, which again is like a hard R, not something I should have been watching as yeah. a kid. But like it, for my family, we loved the Liar Liar. Wow. Yeah. I'm glad we didn't have to talk about that movie. <laughs> the movie was not good. Uh, anyway, want to hear about how this movie was made? Sure. Because, uh, you know, it's not a lot, but it's noteworthy. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> 1995, American novelist and educator Billy Letts published her first novel, Where the Heart Is. Mm. Have you read that? No. Like, this movie feels like it was a movie based on a book. Like, yeah. It, it is, you just watch it, you're like, oh, is this based on a book? It sure is. Or a lot of movies are based on books. They are. I feel like, I don't know, maybe there's something about like the the, the structure and form of the, the book adaptation appeals to you. you yeah. Because they do have... Like a lot of movies based on books have a particular feel, you know? No, you're right. They do have a particular feel. I think the thing that I find, yeah, that being said, right? Like I don't love book ad adaptation. Like if I've read the book, mm -hmm. 
no thank you. I, I'm fine with like watching the movie and then reading the book. Like had I, I'd seen Joy Luck Club before I read it. Uh, and had it been the other way around, I would have hated the movie and it would not have been one of my movies, but I like the two independently of each other. I think the same thing with like a lot of these things. Like I probably, like I, I kind of want to like go ahead and try to do, um, like I want to pick up, oh no, I'm going to listen to the audiobook because your girl does not have time to send and read, but I'm going to like read the, um, where the heart is, uh, book. I'm going to just I, do it. Well, like knowing the, uh, like having watched the movie, I, I, I would probably guess the book is better than the yeah, movie. Yeah, absolutely. Like it just, the way it's structured feels very episodic. Like mm-hmm. you can, you can uh, like each episode in Novali's life feels like it could be, just be a chapter in the book, you know? Yeah. Like every chapter bumps up another six months in her life, you know? I really hope they skip chapter five because I think that would be really fun. I don't think they would have, but that would have been fun. Yeah, because Novali does not like the number five. I have a clip about that. So oh, just, wait. Just to get that out of the way. <laughs> no fives. You and your fives. What fives? On my fifth birthday, my mama ran off with a baseball umpire named Fred and never came back. And after I dropped out of school and was waiting tables at Red's, one of the regulars there named Gladys went crazy. When I tried to calm her down, she jumped at me with a steak knife and cut me from my wrist to my elbow. And what's that got to do with fives? It took 55 stitches to close her up. I don't, I don't like, like fives. She doesn't like fives. <laughs> she can't drive 55. <laughs> She's like, nope, take the streets. What's that have to do with the making of the movie? It doesn't. I, I, I just like had that clip and had nowhere to use it. So what the heck? <laughs> anyway, Billy Lutz's novel was chosen as an Oprah's book club book in Oof. December 1998. So that's probably why it was very popular. Yeah, that makes and sense. And that's probably how it got on the radar of 20th Century Fox executive Susan Cartsonis. Hmm. So she read the manuscript for the, for the novel and she convinced her studio to option it for a film. Nice. Also... How many Oprah Book Club's books do you think got turned into movies? That sounds like a movie oh, night. I'm like, that, that's, a, that's an interesting thing to look up after we're done. Maybe we'll report back. We'll, we'll report the back on, on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, it's just a string of Oprah Book Club movies. Anyway, after Cartsonis left Fox that year to become president of Wind Dancer Production Group, she bought the project along with her. Nice. Wind Dancer, founded by TV veterans Matt Williams, David McFadden, and Carmen Finestra, alongside actor Tim Allen, had hit it big with the sitcom Home Improvement. Ah. So this was the Home Improvement Company. Wow. Okay. They improved, I mean, where the home was. Oh, dang it. You have me doing it too. Where the heart is. They improved the heart. Tool time. Hmm. But with Home Improvement coming to an end in 1999, the team, the entire team was looking to broaden their horizons. Hmm. Thus, Wind Dancer Films was born in 1997. So it was like Home Improvement was their cash cow. Yeah. And it was a big deal. Like I, I watched Home Improvement sparingly as a kid. Mm-hmm. My dad watched it from time to time. I, I, I'm not say I can't say I'm a fan. Right. But from what I know, it was a huge rating success. Everyone watched it. It was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, so when the show's coming to an end, you know that you're reaching the end of the road. You're like, well, what do we do now? Let's make movies. Let's make a movie. Company co-founder Matt Williams stepped in to direct the film adaptation of Where the Heart Is. This was his directorial debut. While veteran movie writers Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel, known for Splash, Parenthood, City Slickers, and A League of Their Own, were hired to pen the screenplay. I like Splash. I think they won an Oscar for that. Oh. Yeah. So this is like Oscar-nominated or not Oscar-winning 
screenwriters are brought to basically adapt the book to the movie. Huh. Cool. So, yeah. Have you ever seen Splash or did you just see memes? I've, I've just seen the uh, the scene that was edited for Disney+. Plus. I should go back and rewatch that to see if it holds up. <laughs> 18-year-old Natalie Portman, then best known for Leon the Professional and Beautiful Girls. She's was, so good in Leon the Professional. Uh, she was cast in the film's lead. Uh, she was cast in this movie after she had been cast in Star Wars and had filmed her scenes for Star Wars, but it was before the movie came out. Right. So she wasn't... A big name yet. Mm. Um, so they like, you know, secured her right before she her career like really took off. That was smart. With only a modest budget of about $17 million, Where the Heart Is was shot in Austin, Texas to save money, even though it was set in Oklahoma. Okay. You couldn't do that nowadays. It would be really expensive to shoot in Austin. <laughs> 45 days shoot uh, was reportedly grueling with temperatures. 45 days? 45 I'm sorry if I'm clipping kids. 45 days for that move. Grueling indeed. Yeah, anyway, temperatures regularly exceeded 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, I mean, that's fine. Yeah, but I'm just saying. Like, What's you're, that in Celsius? You're out there. You have to film a bunch of scenes, you know, outside in the Walmart parking lot, you know, <laughs> <laughs> barefoot. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. No wonder she was walking so fast. Uh, on one occasion, a New York journalist visiting the set reportedly passed out due to the heat. It, 100's not that hot, guys. Oh my. Is, it, is it humid in Texas? A little bit. Like Austin, maybe a little less, but it is right next to the river, so... Uh, okay. Might be a little humid some days. Anyway, um, past, <laughs> this just in from Past Rodney. Where the heart is, more like where the heat is. <laughs> I just took three die of psychedelic damage. Psychedelic <laughs> damage from that. Psychic damage? No, psychedelic <laughs> Anyway, that's where the heart is. They filmed the movie and it was made. And uh, that's that. Nice. Here we are. Clap, clap. So why don't we jump into the movie and uh, let's meet our main characters. We talked about Novali, obviously, but she's not the only main character. That's true. I would say this movie has two main characters. There's an A plot and a B plot. Mm -hmm. uh, they start together. Yes. They split apart for most of the movie mm -hmm. and they come back together for one thing in the end. Yes. Uh, so who are those main characters? Novali Nation. Novali Nation, played by Natalie Portman, mm -hmm. and Ponytail Derek, <laughs> Mullet Derek. <laughs> His name is Willie Jack, played by Dylan Bruno. All right, Bruno, we don't talk about Dylan. I hope we can find a place to live that overlooks the ocean. Hell, Novali, you can't see the ocean from Bakersfield. Well, well, maybe a pond then. You also can't I want to get pond. one of those patio tables with an umbrella over it where we can sit with a baby and drink chocolate milk and watch the sun go down. I've never lived any place that didn't have wheels under it. So, uh, Novali and her boyfriend, Willie Jack. Yep. Uh, they have, they are pregnant. One of them is pregnant, yes. They, they, they are with child. One of them has a child <laughs> with them, yes. And uh, they've decided they're going to go, uh, you know, drive from their home. Uh, I, I don't think they Tennessee. live in, in Tennessee. Yeah. To Bakersfield, California. Yeah. In, in, their, in like Willie Jack's rundown car. It's real you know, bad. Basically start a new life. He bought it for $500. And they're like, <clears throat> yeah, she said it. Like they, they've. They've lived in her. Uh, she's lived in a trailer yeah. her whole life. Yeah, so they're like, they're on. They're from the poorer side of, of Tennessee. Yeah, they are extremely <laughs> they are extremely impoverished. Like you know. Uh, it, yeah, it's like but the car the car that they're driving has a hole in the passenger side's uh, like floor. floor. Yeah, so you could just see the road underneath her feet as it goes, which is 
it's really fun. I mean, it's not fun. It's very dangerous. But yeah, like they sh- they don't come it's got, it's for got much. A it's got many leaks. And Novali's great, but you can see right off the bat her boyfriend is not. He's trash. Yes. Yes, he He's is. He's a garbage person. <laughs> yeah, Willie Jack is uh, selfish, uh, cruel, uh, just childish, very juvenile. Uh, yeah. They're like... I think the movie does a good job at the very beginning. Um, it's just like visual storytelling yeah. where um, they 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 hop in the car to leave, mm-hmm. right? And you it the the fir- opening shot of the movie is underneath this car, and it's just like dripping oil. Yeah. And when the car pulls out, like Willie Jack like has a cigarette. He just yeah, like, he throws the cigarette out and it, starts an oil fire. Yeah, and they just leave it. Yeah. Yeah. So he's just a bad person. Yeah. Even before that, though, like he's rushing her to get out. Like we gotta go. Come on. Blah blah blah. Well, she's saying goodbye to her friends, right? And she has a camera, and she's like, "Hey, hey, can you just take a picture of me and my friends as we leave?" And so she goes to like stand by them, and he like half hap hap haphazardly just like aims the camera and takes a picture. And the picture's all blurry. You can't see her or her friends or anything and then the next section when they're in the car uh and they're on this long drive you see pictures um in the what are those flaps called the, the sun the, the sun or the, the 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 mirror you know yeah and the mirror or the things that you flip down to protect from this visor like tucked in of like polaroids of them along the road and it's it's one blurry picture of her and her friend and everything else is pictures of him standing somewhere like he does not take the time to even like that's a good point yeah oh yeah the, the, there's my, so many moments you were like visual storytelling storytelling was like they do a lot with just like yeah it's simple and good and like she's sleeping in the passenger side you know because she's as pregnant. pregnant women do yeah she's very pregnant and sleeping and like willie jack is like he's singing while he's driving he's singing and he like is trying to get her attention by singing like he's like a little baby like yeah. a little child he, trying to like hey mom hey mom like he's like singing at her even though she's clearly sleeping and he's annoyed because she's snoring so he wakes her up like your snoring is interrupting my singing like i'm pregnant dude yeah well <laughs> jack not a good person nope novally pretty good person dylan bruno probably fine i don't know yeah i don't <laughs> know what he's up i don't know what he's up to me I, neither I've never seen him before let's hope he's doing good but um yeah but the, the plot kicks off very quickly mm-hmm. uh what do they what happens uh so when that scene we're talking about we're not gonna go scene by scene in the movie because no. we will be here forever but the scene you're talking about um he wakes her up and is like you're so loud where are your shoes and they look down and she like is barefoot and there's a huge hole in the ground her shoes are gone her shoes are on the road miles and miles my we don't even know like she took them off she's like my feet are swollen you know so they're just driving around, and that's where you get the title of the, the thing. Ooh. Wanna feel the baby? Here. Feel that? No. Right there. Feel that little bump, bump, bump? That's where the heart is. And she's just trying to connect with her boyfriend. Like she's starting a life with with him and their baby. They're moving away from everything she's ever known. And like that's her support system. Um, and from there, uh, they go to Walmart so she can get one, use the bathroom. Because again, she's very pregnant. And when I say very pregnant, she has to be because like she gives birth like maybe a month later. So she's she is probably around 35 weeks at this point. Uh, and so she's like, oh, well, Walmart. 
I can you probably have that clip. <laughs> she wants she wants to go to the bathroom and she goes. Oh, what the hell? Walmart. I can go to the bathroom. All right, hurry up. Fine. I'm gonna need some money. They gonna charge you to pay? I have to get some house shoes. I gotta get some kind of shoes. All right, get you some house shoes. Get you some green polka dot house shoes. That way everyone will be sure to notice you. He's such a jerk. But she goes in, she buys her shoes, uh, and what happens? She comes out Russian because her change was an omen, and her boyfriend's not there. The car's mm. not there. She is stranded alone in Oklahoma, yeah, uh, many states away from yep. anyone she knows, Yep. in a Walmart parking lot. Ma'am? Ma'am? You left these at the counter. In your change. Are you all right? Hi. Just... My boyfriend... Went to get the car fixed. He'll pick me up. Well? Have a nice day. He's not coming back. <laughs> no. Yep, so Willie Jack, uh, who, you know... Jacked right off. Wait, wait, <laughs> wait, wait. That's not how that's said. That's not the word. Yeah, he gets out of town. Jumping Hit Jack Hit the road, flash. Jack. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yep, leaves poor Novali in a Walmart parking lot alone with no money uh, and no contact. No, she has $5.55. It's like, you know, 1995 or whatever, so she doesn't even have a cell phone, you know? Yeah. She doesn't have anyone to call. No. It's real. I was sitting here like listening to that. And I was thinking about Natalie Portman's first few roles. And I was like, Leonardo the Professional. That's not a happy story for that little girl. <laughs> um, and this too, I was like, she really didn't like the roles that she played were all like pretty heart hitting. Like the characters that like had to overcome a bunch. Queen Amidala. <laughs> mm. we, we don't talk. We don't talk about Amidala. <laughs> the thing she had to overcome there was the direction. But... In this movie, like, you can already see how hopeful she is, right? Like, I don't know that she believes that he's coming back, but I think she also, like, can't not. Yeah. So she's, like, it, it, at least for a moment is in denial. It's like, yeah, he'll come back. Yeah. Like, he wouldn't have left. He was getting the car fixed with what money? Like. She she must have been only in there for, like, 20 minutes. Maybe even less. Less. Like, like he's just like, yeah, I don't care about this girl. And, like. Or this baby. She, like, her stuff is in his car. Yep. She doesn't have clothing. She literally has the what she's wearing, a bag, the shoes she just bought, and $5 and change. And she's 35 weeks pregnant. Yep. Um, Starts off real good. Yeah, so, so she goes back in the Walmart and she, like, chills for a while. It's something, you know, as as it happens, the, the Walmart's going to close at the end of the day. Yeah. Attention Walmart shoppers. It is nine o'clock and Walmart is closing. Please bring your final selections to the checkout counters. Walmart will open again at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. And as always, thank you for shopping Walmart. So what does Novali choose to do? She doesn't choose to do this. She's about to leave, then gets hit with morning sickness, which if you're still having morning sickness in your third trimester, I am very sorry, uh, and goes into the bathroom to throw up violently 
And by the time she's done throwing up, the Walmart workers didn't check any of the bathrooms or anything and have locked her in and left for the night. They had plans. So she decides to camp at the Walmart. She, I mean, she can't get out. Yeah, I know. So she sleeps in the camping department. Uh, she like eats like Ye potato chips or something. <laughs> like she makes herself a little home. She stows away in the Walmart because yep. she really has nowhere else to go. She uh, is really like, even as you're watching this, like she's really, her character is, wants to be as upright as possible, right? Yeah, like you yeah. see her, she took a notebook and in the notebook there's like, she writes every day, like things that, what I owe Walmart. And it's just kind of like for this and this, and you see her like take clothing, but she, you, even when you see her take clothing, you only see her change in like two or three dresses. Like she doesn't like buy, wear something new every day. She, yeah. Her intention is not to steal from these people. She like, Opens boxes so that she can like uh, attach a, a shower head, put a shower head attachment in the bathroom in the sink so she can actually shower and wash herself. Um, she works out in there. <laughs> she sets many alarms. Like she's just doing her best as a very pregnant woman trying to like figure it out. And it's really interesting because you can see like hopelessness in it as well. Like how are you going to sustain this? But like right now she's just got to think about the here and now, you know? And uh, as as the clip I opened with uh, illustrated, she has the baby in the Walmart, and if she comes up, she becomes a minor celebrity for a sec. Yeah, the Walmart mama. Or yeah, she has the Walmart baby. Yep. Um, that's really not an important plot point. No, uh, the rest of the movie uh, is really just her living in this small town, getting to know the people. Like she doesn't live in the Walmart anymore. After yeah. That. Like it's after thirty minutes, she moves in with some locals. Yeah. Uh, we'll meet them in a second. Um, but that's just the a plot. Mm -hmm. um, I, I kind of wanted to talk about this early, get yeah. this out of the way. Uh, my biggest criticism of the movie, and I think it's an okay movie. I don't like, I don't dislike this mm -hmm. movie, but there is one big criticism, and I think it's the pacing. Yeah, because it's clear Novali is like the main character, like she's the one who you're emotionally invested in. Right. Um, her, she's given a lot of time, yes. a lot of screen time. She's uh, got seventy percent of the movie. <laughs> yeah, but the problem is, and I think this might be something from the book. Like maybe the book like flip flops between these two characters, but we continue to follow Willie Jack mm -hmm. on his adventures. His so like the first adventures. thing that happens to him after he leaves his girlfriend, his pregnant girlfriend in the Walmart parking lot. What happens to him? He picks up a hitchhiker, and uh, he gets pulled over by the police. Two hundred eighteen dollars in your pocket, fourteen cartons of Winston Light one hundreds and plastic sack in the trunk of your car. By the strangest damn coincidence. That's exactly what someone stole from a 7-Eleven store about two hours ago. Uh, not to mention, Jolene, how old are you these days? Fourteen. Huh? Fourteen! Running makes you look guilty. <laughs> and he is guilty. <clears throat> he is guilty. He, he picks up a 14-year-old hitchhiker. Not knowing she's 14, I will give him that, but I, that's it, because he's scum. Yeah. <laughs> He uh he tries to seduce this young woman. Oh yeah, he makes advances. Yeah, it's, and, it's and, gross. And, and and that's cut short, thankfully, by yes. the police. And I'm the sure the actress herself was at least 18. Yeah, but still. <laughs> uh, yep. So he got busted, and he went to prison. Yep. So half the movie is about Willie Jack, like going to prison, getting out of prison, and then starting a music career. Yeah, trying to be a country western star. Yep. That's his side of the story. 
but his story, I would say, comprises, what, five scenes? Yeah, it's really not a lot. Not a lot at all. So the movie jumps back and forth between Novely and Willie Jack, but, you know, the the movie is so outweighed by Novely mm -hmm. that Willie Jack just feels like, why are we doing this? Yeah. Why is he even here? Yeah. Why do we care? There's not enough connections between the two. There's like one. There's one connection between the like two storylines in the middle. And then again at the end yeah. when they like meet see they meet each other again. Yeah, yeah. Um and you see how I feel like the book have would have to have done it better. Like the way that their lives still infected each other or, or touched each other, whether they knew it or not. Oh, I guess technically there's two places in the, that's why I think they, they probably do it better in the book. I'm sure they do. Because like in the movie, there's a scene where uh, the radio is playing and it's playing Willie Jack's song and Willie Jack is singing and everybody's singing along. She's like, Ugh, there's something about that guy's voice. I just can't. She like turns it off. And then there's that was another, like such a minor thing. Yeah. It's big for me because I watch it all. It's like, oh, nice. <laughs> um, and then there's another scene where she's at a hotel um, oh, that's to, right. to receive an award for something. And he happens to be at that hotel as well and like sees her from the back, not knowing who she is, just checking out, checking her out like, ooh, good looking woman like that. But uh, and then they move on. Right. So those are the only times that you really see in the movie that they like kind of touch. So it makes me think that in the book that there was more like I would think misses so. hit yeah. and misses. But the movie doesn't necessarily portray that as well as it could have. So like like Forrest Gump, where the heart is like feel because it covers so many years of Novali's life. Like mm -hmm. it feels very long. Yeah. Like, it's a long journey. Right. And for the most part, I'm invested. I would say like towards the end of the movie, it kind of like gets it starts to drag a little bit mm -hmm. and I'm like, okay, let's wrap this up. Cause like, you know, we, we get some hard hitting, some serious scenes and the drama kind of like escalates. Right. And mm -hmm. then you feel like you're in the climax of the movie and then like, you know, kind of mellows out again. You yeah. feel like you're in the closing action. The movie's going to wrap itself up, but it kind of keeps going a <laughs> little bit longer. And I was like, all right, all right. I'm starting to feel it a little bit. Yeah. Right. Um, but I think what really caused that was, we had all these needless scenes where Willie Jack to just like pad out the runtime. Yeah. So it felt like the movie was just kind of like running out of steam. Yeah. I think it was also, you had said when we were uh, watching it, uh, and I have, I would have to agree. I think it needed a few more time. It needed timestamps of the years that were passing. Cause at one that point too. we like are following Willie Jack and then he like meets with an agent and she's like, all right, fine. I'll take you on and like changes him all up. And then he's like singing in a bar and then he's on the phone with her. And it's like, Hey, you said that it was going to take two years for me to like get big. Yeah, it's it was been like two years. And it's like, well, I guess it's going to take three years. And then the next scene is him like singing in a recording thing. So you're like, so three years have passed since he's got out of prison. And then you switch back and you uh, are in Novali's home and her infant is now a three-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the movie kind of just like jumps so quickly. Yeah. So it feels both rushed and drawn out at different moments yeah and it's a little strange where mm -hmm. like forrest gump stop comparing it to I, the it gumper just, it, it just it's apropos mm -hmm. um forrest gump i feel like it, it covers so many years but you have forrest there as a narrator to kind of ground you and like you know add context to where he is in his life you know yeah he's I telling a story novally it's like oh wow we just i guess nothing important happened for three <laughs> years in his life and like the, I mean, the, that's that's true to life. <laughs> the biggest indicator for how long the movie lasts is the age of her ba her baby. You know, yeah. Baby goes from being not born yet to 
five. A five-year-old. Yeah. Uh, so you, like, every time you're like, okay, how old's her kid? You know? Yeah. And that's... That's our litmus. Yeah. Anyway, that's my biggest problem with the movie. I feel like I just need to get that out of the way. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think what we really want to talk about is just, like, the themes present in the movie. Because no, Novali... Many things happen. She meets many different people in this small Oklahoma town, mm-hmm. uh, and it reveals a lot of interesting themes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> it sounded like you're setting up something for a pitch. Interesting themes. It's a trap. So who 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 do you want to meet? Let's, let's meet some of these characters uh, and talk about what the themes. Let's meet the people she moves in with first, because those are the first friends that we uh, meet in this town. Yep. So the first person she meets, and this is like her sitting on a bench outside Walmart. Yeah. Uh, I, is. She was just like she's like stranded, just yeah, down this and is, out. This is the same day that um, Willie Jack has left, and she meets someone named Sister Husband. I love Sister Husband. Her name is Thelma. Don't you remember me? I'm Sister Husband. Oh, you remember me? She used to call me Thelma because you couldn't say Thelma. <laughs> Can you say Thelma? Thelma. Good. Oh, Lord, look at you having a baby. So you just moved back home with then? See, I'm not. Oh, you know what they say. Home is where your history begins. Home is where they catch you when you fall. That's what the late brother husband used to say. Brother husband? Was he your husband? No, he was my brother. A real man of God. They're Baptist? Brother and sister husband. Her name is Thelma Husband. Yeah, husband's her last last name. But yeah, Yeah. sister husband. That's such an interesting name. I, I love like, it. Yeah, I was like, it. it Dang movie, it! I should open a sister husband, this, Sister Lloyd. <laughs> this movie has a lot of like idiosyncrasies about like the characters, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, that like it's it's very charming in that way, right? Yeah. Like, everyone has like a silly name. I guess sister <laughs> husband. I guess just her. <laughs> but still, it's I don't know. It, it feels charming and real in a, in a weird sense, you know. Yeah. Yeah. There's probably an Oklahoma town out there with 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 a sister husband. Probably, husband's such a good fun surname um played by stalker channing yeah she's does a great channing. job she's re- she's returned <laughs> i've loved her in everything i've seen her in i haven't seen her in a lot of stuff you loved her in greece you love greece yeah so we meet sister husband and she's gonna be a big poor shit part of uh Novali's life um she in that moment she she drives around in a car that says the welcome woman she is the welcome wagon of the town and gives Novali a, a gift, uh, which will later bring her back to a gift of a tree, like like a little tree, like, oh, welcome. You're here to stay here. Plant some roots, basically. Um, a clip. Oh, oh, yeah, one more thing. What is that? This is a buckeye tree. Brings you good luck. Here, take it. There. Well... Goodbye, Ruthann. You know, it's real nice to see you again. Hmm. Welcome home. I'm in the phone book. You come and see me anytime you want. And bring that baby. And she also gives her a basket of, like, goodies. Like, yeah. Skincare products and all this stuff. You yeah. Know? Uh, uh, I, that's actually probably where she got the notebook from. That's probably, yeah. Yeah, rather than taking it from uh, Walmart. Um... <laughs> Uh, I love the, like, I'm in the phone book. Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> it's 1995. Ooh. And sister husband's easy to remember. Yeah, that's very true. Well, Thelma, but husband, that's fine. Um, 
So from here, she like is in the Walmart for a couple of weeks. We we surmise <laughs> from watching it and the Buckeye starts to like die because it's in a essentially a tin can. And she's like, I wonder what this is. And that's how we meet uh, another important character. We go to the library to learn about trees. What do you want? Uh, I'm looking for, for a book. What kind of book? About... About trees? Trees? Yeah. Forestry, environment, agriculture, botany? What do you want to know about trees? Well, a few weeks ago, somebody gave me a buckeye tree. Buckeye? Of course, just not. Belongs to the genus Aeschylus of the family Acastination. Uh, I, th I think it's dying, my tree. I could show it to the people who gave it to me, but I'm embarrassed to let them see how sick I let it get. There. Look up Buckeye in the index. What? I'll start slower. These are called books. Are you still with me? Hey. Here. Uh, there. See? Read. We meet this rude librarian. He's so rude. <laughs> I remember when he's first introduced, like, I thought it was an older man. just Because mm. he's off screen. You just hear him shouting from the other room. Yeah. You know? And then he walks in. It's just this young guy. <laughs> just old man vibes. Yeah. Much yeah. like the man I'm looking at across the table. Uh, we meet. We learn his name later, but uh, it's Forney. Yep. His name his, is Forney. His name is Forney. Yeah, his name is Forney. Forney. <laughs> Which is another one of those just weird little names. That, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean... Forest is a weird name. Anyway, Forney Gump. <laughs> um. So that's that's a great meeting. He becomes chiller quicker. We're not gonna like go into all the things that happen. Yeah, because uh, I, I do want you to. He becomes really important in um, Novali's life and the life of her baby. Mm -hmm. And um, from that uh, <laughs> wonderful interaction, she's like, yeah. I'd rather just go to the people. So she goes back to, she finds Sister Husband's home, goes there and plants the tree in Sister Husband's yard. Yeah. And so that is what, that's a good place to like talk about the, my, my favorite part of the movie, like mm -hmm. in terms of theme, it, it's portrayal of kindness yeah. and like selflessness in this small town. I think it's very like, it's a very, you know, American small town sensibility where it's like, oh, everyone knows each other. Everyone loves each other. Everyone's yeah. accepting of one another. And we, you know, we're family, you know, mm -hmm. uh, we, we'll, we'll bring you in, you know, like, you know, our, our pack is your pack kind of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so sister husband is like the best. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Um, 100%. So I think, you know, and, and it's easy to be cynical about movies sometimes. It's like, we're like, oh, you meet this really kind incredible selfless person mm -hmm. in a movie and you're like that's lame you know, it's like whatever but there are times in my life especially like you know more anxious times right where like you know anxiety is taking over and i'm like sometimes i just want to see portrayals of very good people you know <laughs> um we talked about this when we talked to kiki's delivery service in 1989 yeah. um that movie just shows nice people like being kind mm -hmm. and it's like for kindness sake. Yeah, and it kind of like melts your heart a little bit. And you're like, yeah. sometimes you just want to see that and make you feel good, right? Yeah. And so sister husband is an incredibly good person. Yeah. Um. So for her to like, you know, obviously she thinks she knows uh, Novali from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. You know, she like gives her a welcome present. She gives her the tree. But then she's like, hey, why, why don't you plant your tree here? You know, yeah. she helps her. She helps her out. And they, they, they she stays over for dinner, mm -hmm. you know. 
Yeah, and she like welcomes her in. It's not like, I mean, like if I'm honest, if that was me, I'd be like, I'm embarrassed and I will never see you again. Goodbye. <laughs> you know? But she's just like, oh, how stupid of me. Yeah. Uh, and then like, yeah, let's plan in our yard and let's uh, do these things. And then she's like, but she's still concerned. Like, what kind of people are you staying with that don't, won't let you plant a tree? And I'm like, I live in an apartment. But <laughs> like, you know that she has this concern for this person who, yeah, she thought she knew, but now knows is a stranger. Yeah, and they, they, but cleared, that it, they clear that up too. But it doesn't change how she treats her, right? And yeah. even um, her lover. <laughs> her boyfriend. Her boyfriend. Her live-in boyfriend. Uh, her was, was lover. Mr. Sprock? Yes, um, and they both just like invite her. It's not at any point, even the people being like, we don't know her. She's weird. <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, we're it's not going like, to invite okay. this complete stranger to our home. It's like not even a question. It's like, yeah, yeah. come in and eat with us. Yeah. Let's, let's pray for you. Yeah. I, I have the clip. You want to play it? Go ahead. Wait, which clip? There's several praying scenes. The, the first prayer. Okay. Dear Lord, we pray that you will bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies and we pray, Lord, for a safe delivery and a healthy child for our new friend. And we ask forgiveness, Lord, for the fornication that Mr. Sprock and me have committed again this afternoon. Amen. Because they're living Amen. in sin. Amen. <laughs> My question is, if she's so concerned about it and she needs to pray for forgiveness at every meal, why don't they just get married? You know, <laughs> a lot comes with marriage, but sometimes you just don't want to. Um, I will say that I don't think she feels bad about it. There's another scene. I don't you didn't get the clip, but like from when they first meet where she's like uh, to Novali, like, do you read the Bible? And Novali says, not as much as I should. Good. That's good. <laughs> I think when people read it too often, they get confused. <laughs> She's so, like, yeah, she's like this this lukewarm Christian lady. Like, she's, I love her. She's, she's got Christian great. traditions, but really doesn't care too much about it. Like, yeah. There's a time, where, like, so Novali has the baby in the Walmart. She yes. delivers the baby in the Walmart. It's a, like, it's a minor news story, like mm -hmm. local news comes and interviews her about the Walmart baby. Walmart CEO sends her some money. Yeah. Um, But, like, she becomes a little celebrity in, like, two, like, ultra- Christian people show up at sister husband's house yeah. hoping to meet the Walmart baby. They they say the Walmart baby and her uh sinner of a mother, her unwed mother. Yeah, they want to like pray for the baby and like, you know, give them Jesus or something. Yeah. And sister husband just like just closes the door on their face. Yeah. Oh yeah, because they say something like like, we want to bring God to uh the Walmart baby and her unwed mother. And sister husband's like well, you've wasted a trip because God has been in this house for a long time. Slams the door in their faces. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, go, sister That's husband. That's the one time when sister husband is like rude to somebody. And she even like, I think she she regrets it later. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but yeah, anyway, I, I, that was my main thing. It's like sister husband and Mr. Sprock specifically, mm -hmm. like they are so good. Yeah. To nobly. He and it's very inspiring. And it's like. It just, it, it feels good sometimes yeah. to watch a movie that's just so unabashedly positive. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll get more to like my thoughts on that. But like, they are the main ones that you see. But there's like some Keith David's character. Ah, Moses. Moses. He's also just so kind. My name is Moses. Moses White Cotton. Novali Nation. Novali Nation. It's a good, strong name. You know, a name's important. Have you picked out a name for your baby yet? Well, 
I was thinking about Wendy with an I. Oh, don't you dare. Give that baby a name that means something. A good sturdy name. Keith David. <laughs> Love Keith David. Great. And, and so did. Keith David works at the Walmart. He's a he's a photographer at the mm-hmm. Walmart for like their their photo gallery yeah. or whatever. Um and like they connect over a love of photography. Does he buy her a camera? Um eventually. Yeah, 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 yeah. He does. But then he also is just like later just helps she like finds an old camera and he helps to fix it up and stuff. Yeah. And I I think he even like does he offer her a job at the Walmart at some point or something like that? He doesn't. The Walmart King does. Okay. Either way, like, yeah, he's another one of those characters, just like extremely kind. Yeah. yeah. But he doesn't have to be, you know, especially. Nope. <laughs> We're not going to bring that kind of thing. He doesn't have, and it's just, it is, you know, and there's something to be said, right? Like you see a, a young looking pregnant woman walking alone. You do just kind of want to help <laughs> and just make sure she's okay. But still, right. Yeah. And then there's also, right. Like when she does, uh, give birth and then she wakes up in the hospital right like she meets a best friend whom is also kind and fun <laughs> and that character's name is lexi she's a nurse yeah at the, at the hospital americas how the hell did you come up with a name like americas i wanted her to have a strong name a name that stood for something well i guess i should talk i call my kids after snack foods brownie praline cherry and baby ruth you got four yep you don't look old enough. Well, I started when I was 15 and I just couldn't stop. I wanted to find the first one a daddy, but all I got out of that was another baby. So I wanted to find them both a daddy and so on and so on. I think I'm going about this the wrong way. <laughs> she becomes uh, uh, Novali's best friend. Yeah. Uh, and she's, it's just like one of those things where you, it's really lovely to see. Um, Considering, well, okay, so I want to move into my point. Yeah, one, go for it. one of my points. Okay, so all of these points, like the the themes, all like run yeah. together. You know, uh. yeah, they do. And I like I want to talk mainly about like what keeps bringing me back to this movie because this is one of the movies we were talking about it off mic, uh, and this is like one of the movies, probably the first that we've really seen in this whole show run. Um, that I consistently come back to this movie. Like my other movies, I, yeah, they were the most I watched that year. And yes, I, I do like them. I love them. But this movie, like I will just get in the mood for and put on. Like, you know, this is something that I choose to come back to, not just because it's on, though if it's on, I am going to watch it. Um, and whereas like, yeah, uh, 10 Things I Hate About You is a good movie and I enjoy it, but I don't like ever have a hankering to watch it you know like if i'm like someone's talking about it, I was like, oh yeah i like that movie i'm not gonna be like put it on if someone's like oh where the heart it put it on put it on right now why are we still talking <laughs> and like one of the reasons is like this this and we've definitely talked about this before but this like idea of found family right like that's yep. something that resonates really deeply uh with who i am and to come out of this to start this right um whole movie with Novali like leaving her friends and stuff to build a family with this boy who knocked her up who she like had thoughts thoughts about like even in that first few the first lines we hear from her the one of the first things she says is like my mom left me when I was five she doesn't say nothing about a dad like she doesn't have a family and then she gets left in a Walmart parking lot pregnant you know and then she gets taken in by these people and taken in by these these people who become essentially like parents and siblings and uh it's such a huge deal especially 
after giving birth and being alone, you know? Yep. And I love that. You know, like I, I love that, like the, the bonds that we choose to make that we don't have to keep. I really like the the scene where sister husband basically le- invites Novali to stay in her yeah. house. So Novali's given birth. She's at the hospital. She's waiting for someone to pick her up. We will give no details. Let them watch it themselves. Yeah, yeah. So she like she thought she had a place to stay, but it ends up being a con. Yeah. She has nowhere to stay. So she's waiting outside the hospital. Again. And no, and no one's there to pick her up. And then out of nowhere, here comes sister husband. Well, you know that tree? Your tree that you planted in my yard? I've been trying to take care of it, and you know, I just don't have the feel for it. And, uh, and I don't have the time either. And so I thought maybe if you and the baby came and sort of stayed with me for a while, that you could take care of it for me. Sure helped me out a lot. It brings a tear to your eye. <laughs> like, <laughs> legit. Like, it's it's so sweet. Yeah, and I think that, like, the thing that I love about this is as much as you were talking about, like, you know, just they're kind people. I love that this movie isn't idyllic, you know, like Kiki's Little Resurface is wonderful. And I love it. Obviously, I do. It's a great movie. But even in the low times, people are incredibly kind. Uh, yeah. And th- this movie really shows that, like, people can be. But the world still sucks. Yeah, you know, like it's like they're not well off. They live they st- like Novali lives with sister husband and Mr. Sprock in a trailer with her baby. Like, yeah. But they're still like they, they make it work. Yeah. And and even even in that, right, where we're like just talking about like family that you choose, right? Like she was left <laughs> by her boyfriend. She was left by somebody who came out of her past to be like, oh my gosh, let me help you out. And she was like, yeah, like let's live together. Let's do this. Like someone that she had felt was family before and she's left again, right? Like these kind of things where it's just, it's, it's saying that people that you feel like you should have built in trust with, that doesn't necessarily always ring true. It, can be true there are relationships in this movie that we see that are like mother father brother sister all those things that like are strong and remain strong but the movie doesn't say like or the story isn't saying that just because your blood means that it's gonna work out it also doesn't say just because you are friends it's gonna work out and it's about trying right like that life is hard but you can always you can always pick yourself up or you can have a company uh, have a, a, a committee. What's the word? Community. community. You have a community to help you stand back up um, no matter how much time that takes. Right. And the movie really hammers that in. I think like it doesn't, it isn't just like, Oh, I had a, a, a rough patch for 20 minutes of this movie, but now everything is great. Like, no, no, because that's not what life is. Uh, that That's, that's the thing. I think the movie, you know, and it, it benefits from being set in a very small, like tight knit little town, mm-hmm. you know, because you end up seeing the same faces over and over again. Yeah. Right? Like I, I joked about it when we watched it. It's like the biggest like place in the town, the biggest hub is legit just the Walmart. Yeah. You know? It's like where people go everywhere else is just like very sleepy, quiet, mm-hmm. you know, rural town. Yeah. But, um, you just end up seeing Moses and sister husband and, and Lexi. And mm-hmm. like, there's a dude who, I think he's a he's a he's a local lawyer, but he also plays for the softball team. Yeah, you know, and he's, he's in the AA that uh, sister husband is a part part of as well. She's yeah. a sponsor. So you like see him every so often. So you just like see these like just 
random faces around town over and over again. You yeah. just like see the bonds that they've all created yeah. by and, living in this town. Yeah, and like that you are accepted, right? Like we we had that run in with Forney where he was very rude, but he like becomes close knit, like friends, like she will be like, I'm leaving my kid with Forney. Like, I'm going to go do a thing because I have to work. And, like, I can trust Forney. And my my child, my daughter, Americus, lo- loves Forney. And, you know, like, like that's what it looks like. It's just he's so crazy about Americus. Oh, give me a break. He is. Forney is in love with you. Tell me you don't know that. It's just not like that with me and Forney. I have seen him. He loves you. He loves the way you walk. He loves your hair. He loves everything about you. Orny and me were just not that way. So yes, this is also a romance. Yeah, it's a, but well, it's 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 a slow burn. <laughs> it's a will they won't they thing, but it's yeah, it's like not the the point of the movie. It's like not the, the, the real point, point is all of these the relationships is coming together and yeah. weaving in and out of each other and like they. They, they have shared hurts and mm-hmm. shared successes. So. Yeah. I also think, like, the town itself becomes a character or at least, like, a focus for a lot of people. Like, Forney, as an example, like, they, they bring up that he had gone off to school out of state. Mm-hmm. What, but, but, like, a family tragedy brought him back yeah. home. So he, that's why he's in town, even though he's, like, clearly an intelligent person. He's, quote, unquote, too good for this place. People say it often. I think I have a clip of that. Who's Thorny? Thorny. Thorny Hall. Brilliant man. Lives in the library. Brilliant. You know, there's no telling what he might have done in this world if he'd been allowed to finish his schooling. Why didn't he? Lord gives us obstacles. The Lord gives us obstacles. Yeah, but so like, yeah, he's he's book smart and like people think like, oh, he has so much potential. Yeah. But he's like tied down to this little town because like he's taken care of his sister. Yeah. We learned that. But at the same time, he then struggles with like, do I go off and live my dreams or do I want to stay in the town? Because I I caught feelings. Yeah, I have got. I'm basically raising this child with the woman that I love, but we are just friends. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, The movie does so well at like making these things seem feel real, right? Yeah, that's that's the the real strength of the movie for sure. And that being said, right? Like there, we keep skating around it, right? Like there is still a lot of darkness in this movie, right? Yeah. one of the darkest things that happened happens to, to Lexi uh, in this movie. Yeah, I was like, is it the dark? Yeah, it is. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and there are a lot of things. There are a lot of like pitfalls of this movie just because like it shows that living is hard. It's just hard. And, and bad things happen to good people sometimes. Yeah, you know, and um, we're not going to. Yeah, we're not going to talk about specifics. We're not going to talk about specifics, but trigger warning. <laughs> Yeah, going in, if you do decide to watch the movie, like, know that, like, I, I would say just make sure to look up, like, maybe... Kids in Mind or something yeah. like that. Um, and por- you don't... Parental s- Guide on Yeah, on you don't IMDb. see anything, no. like, at all. It's just, like, a conversation of something that happened afterwards. The subject matter is very serious. Yeah, and it's just, like, one of those things where uh, Lexi is like, how could this happen? Like, why does this happen? Yeah. It's a, and, and the conversation that follows is something that, like, I, I hold really dear yeah, and I have a clip of it. Um, just to introduce it, basically, Lexi is like crying and asking, like, 
what am I supposed to tell my kids after a, a horrible situation like this? Right. Mm-hmm. And um, at this point, she's got five, five kids. She's got five. Kids yeah. And she's point. like, and, and I think that what she's asking is a very real thing. It's like, how, how am I supposed to explain to my kids that horrible things can happen in this world to like good people who don't deserve it? Yeah. Right. Because her oldest kid at that point is probably. He looked like six or seven or eight. Yeah. Well, okay. Because she said, I started having kids at 15 and she had had four by that conversation and she looked like 22. Yeah. So. Anyway, she's asking, you know, that that's an excellent question to ask. And then uh, Novali comes back with wisdom. You tell them we've all got meanness in us. But we've got goodness, too. And the only thing worth living for is the good. And that is why we've got to make sure to pass it on. Got to pass on that good. That's, it, that's like the main theme of the movie is yeah. like, take, you know, paying, paying forward or, you know, like taking, taking the, you're receiving the good from good people mm-hmm. and then paying it forward. Yeah. You know, giving it to the next person. Yeah. And I think that like, like I was saying, this is like one of those, when, when you asked, why do you keep coming back to this movie? I think that this is one of those things that I've I've taken as one of my personality traits, right? Probably because I've watched the movie way too much. And even though I didn't understand what was happening in that scene until I was in my 20s, thank God. <laughs> I, I think that like this really sits with me, right? Like I like, you know me and kids, if you know me, you know me. Like, I am a huge pessimist. I'm always going to think things are, are going to go wrong. Like, even going into our dating relationship or our marriage, right? Like, I was like, relationships are work. Like, I I might love you. I might even like you. But that doesn't mean that it's going to be wonderful all of the time. It may, like, only be wonderful 50% of the times at some day. You know, like, and and I need to choose to make that work, right? Like, I need to – you also need to choose to make that work. And that's just what life is, right? Like choosing the good because there's always the choice for the evil, whatever that might be, however you may describe evil, however uh, evil might look in a certain situation, whether it come from you or it come towards you from someone else, right? Like you have to remember that there is also good, right? And some days that's hard, right? Like even in that scene, like I can like sit here and be like i it's not that i think you're wrong novally but in that moment there is no good right like that's why you need the community that's why you need these people that are like going to drop everything at 2 a.m and run to you that are going to give up everything that are going to move you into their house so you can grow your buckeye tree you know like that's why you need these things because things are hard but we need people we yeah we need to maintain and foster that good Right. Like, and again, it's difficult. I don't do it great all the time. I barely do it sometimes. And it's exhausting sometimes to be that person to like foster the good in many different lives. Like, I think as the adult I am, like, I really like admire sister husband. Right. Like, because that's a, the what the things that she did just in her community were a lot. We didn't like I'm sure the book goes into it a lot more. But some of the stuff that we see. Right. Like she's like 
taking food over to someone who's sick. Like she knows what's going on in the community that she like later we know from the, the lawyer that was in an AA, like he would call sometimes like three o'clock in the morning at a, a at a bar having fallen off the, the wagon and she gets up and goes. She meets people where they're at. She does it because she understands that there is not enough good in the world, yeah. that there's too many reasons for people to quit, to turn to the bad, to forget that it is excellent, you know, or not excellent, that there is, there is light and wonder in the world and like how that could just draw on a person like but that i mean and this is this is a movie right and she gets to be a little idyllic and like always have a smile on even um well there was one time she was crying because she felt really bad about the thing but you know like i love that i think that that's what really brings me back because this 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 movie isn't as harrowing as some of the things that like i like to watch but it it always constantly has this reminder that there is opportunity for better yeah it's, it's a touching movie and i'm like sitting here thinking about it right like com because the movie does have that a and b plot i was like comparing novally to willie jack for a second right and mm -hmm. i was thinking like willie jack like starts bad he has a place to move up from right mm -hmm. and you're like a basic character development is easy to identify with willie jack because it's like he starts low he, he has nowhere else to go but up, right? And, like, you know, Willie Jack slowly becomes a better person about the movie, even though it's over <laughs> five scenes, you know? <laughs> he becomes a better person in the last scene. <laughs> he gets there. But I was like, Novali starts pretty pure at the start. Like, what is her character development? And I think for her, it's like she starts, like, you know... Naive? She, she's naive. At the same time, she's also very considerate and pure of heart you know, at the start, mm -hmm. but she is naive and simple. Yeah. Towards the end of the movie, she's, you know, wise, mm -hmm. you know, while still maintaining the purity that she has. Like, I yeah. feel like her growth is her. She grows in wisdom and understanding. And like, she learns that what she's received is a reason to give to others. Yeah. Right? And it's like, she's learned something along the way. Mm -hmm. um, there's a great scene late in the movie where, Basically, Novali, it takes on the sister-husband role. Like, mm -hmm. it sort of reminds me of, like, have you ever been in a fast food, uh, like, drive through line, and the person in front of you pays for your food? Mm -hmm. Has that ever happened to you? No, it happened I've to heard. Me, it happened to me one time, mm -hmm. right? I get to the window. Oh, the person in front of you paid for your food, right? I was in high school. And <laughs> I was like, cool. <laughs> Went off, right? Yeah. It was only later on as I matured and, you know, grew up and I've heard other stories like this happening. The expectation is for you to continue the chain of kindness. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to pay for the person behind you. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. So I was immature at the time. I didn't even think about it. If if that was to happen to me again, someone in front of me pays for my food in the, the line, I'd say, okay, I'll pay for the people in the back. You know, mm -hmm. you keep the chain going. Yeah. Nobly, at the start of the movie, might not have been mature enough to make that decision. But at the end of the movie, she sure as heck is. Yeah. Moses, can Lexi keep her things in your barn for a while? Sure, how come? She doesn't have any more sick leave and she can't pay for her apartment. Where her and the kids gonna stay? And Novali gives a little look and the, you know, jump cut to Lexi. Having literally eight children and two women living in a house. Yep, so Novali lets... Alexi move in with all of her kids. Yeah. Into Novali's new house. Yeah. So returning the favor. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good thing. It's a good scene. It's, it's a good moment. It's a good theme. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> the movie is so good. 
Um, and kids, I really like hope that you give it a chance that you watch it. I feel like like I, do you have more? I was points? like, you answered my question. I was going to say, do you recommend it? Because that's all I have to say. Oh about yeah, what the art is. Yeah, I think it, it's obviously I recommend it. Like, you want to watch it with me, kids? Like, let me know. I'll I'll set up a stream. We'll watch it together, <laughs> <laughs> and I'll let you know when scenes come. Then I'm like, mm-hmm, trigger warning. Look away. Actually, it's really anyway. I think that this is one of those movies that you really, really should see. I'm really glad we didn't play a lot of clips from it because it's an adventure. Like, there's a lot of stuff we didn't cover. Yeah, there's a lot of we, it we covers. Did broad it covers six years of life. So yeah. there's a lot of stuff that we just we just didn't touch here. Yeah. You should just watch it. It's a great double movie. feature with Forrest Gump. I'm telling you, it'd be a that's good. a long night. Either way, like you, uh, we will not be doing that in this house. Yeah, I, I, I recommend it too. You know, like, I'm not like, I'm not super passionate about it, but it's 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 totally a fine movie. Yeah, and you know, there's something to get out of it. You yeah, know, and and think about. So yeah, I, I think it's a pretty good movie. Mm-hmm. But those are our thoughts. What did the world think? They thought um, it was amazing. Where the heart is went on to make thirty three million dollars at the North American box office and an additional seven million dollars internationally. Thanks, for- Oprah. For a worldwide total of about $40 million. It made its money back, so that's yeah. good. While the cast was generally praised, Where the Heart Is, its writing in particular was not a hit with critics. Fair. Sight and Sound, for example, said, quote, Unfortunately, the spirited performances, notably Stalker Channing as the benevolent sister-husband, buckle under the weight of the implausibly overloaded script. And I, I would say the movie does try to juggle many things. You know, it, yeah. it's, it it drags towards the end. It's like yeah. it, it stuffs a lot in. I get that. The BBC said, quote, so much plot is crammed in. It's like a feature length soap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we have called it a lifetime movie a couple of times. The Minneapolis Star Tribune said, quote, the scenes feel forced, producing episodic plotting and calling attention to the character's superficiality. And the Louisville Courier Journal said, quote, the script is sprinkled with phrases meant to be poignant and funny but sound like repackaged cliches. Okay, but did you see Phantom of the Mentis? <laughs> it's better than the Phantom Menace, that's yeah, for sure. exactly. But speaking for critics who did connect with the story, Entertainment Today said, Where the Heart Is is, quote, a rambling but rich examination of both the human spirit and the oft-undiscussed need for greater community that each of us can plug into. Agree wholeheartedly. Yep. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to sum it up. So. Yeah. That's nice. That's nice. But what of the legacy of Where the Heart Is? Not a big one. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> a soundtrack album was released for Where the Heart Is, led by the single That's the Beat of a Heart, performed by the Warren Brothers and Sarah Evans. Uh, that's the song that Willie Jack uh, sings in the movie. Yeah. So, yeah, the Warren Brothers is who that is. <laughs> a music video was made for the song featuring a number of scenes from the film. Oh, huh. we should watch that. That's about it. <laughs> wow. So why not look and see where all the people involved went from here? Novelist Billy Letts published three more novels. 1998's The Honk and Holler opening soon. No, thank you. 2004's Shoot the Moon. And 2008's Made in the USA. Okay. All right. I haven't heard any of those. Nope. Producer Susan Cartsonis went on to produce lady crowd pleasers like What Women Want, Aquamarine, No Reservations, and Beastly. <laughs> As well as the Disney Channel original movies Freaky Friday and Descendants 3. Freaky Friday's not a DCOM. It is now. Apparently, oh, they make a musical? I don't know if it's a musical, but they definitely made a made-for-TV Freaky Friday movie some years ago or something. I think that's a In musical. recent years. <gasps> oh, no. And director Matt Williams directed one more feature, 2006's Walker Payne. 
But he and Windancer Productions have stayed busy with shows like The Connors and PBS Kids Ready, Jet, Go. Okay. I've heard of Ready, Jet, Go. The Connors is the Roseanne spinoff. Oh. After she got canceled. Mm. Anyway, that's where the heart is. Yay. <laughs> that's where the heart went. That's where the heart went. <laughs> uh, we're going to close out oh, this. Oh, wait. That's who we're, those are, we we're just going to talk the showrunners. What happened with Natalie Portman and Channing Tatum? Sh- Channing Tatum. <laughs> <laughs> Stalker Channing. Well, they and- had successful careers in many other films. If you look it up, <laughs> we may talk about Natalie Portman's future career in another episode. Oh. Just saying. Anyway, we're gonna close out this segment with that that song. The the that's the beat of a heart by the Warren Brothers. Yeah, it's more or less the title track for the the soundtrack. And uh, yep, we'll be back after the break with my movie of two thousand. <laughs> that's gonna be fun. <laughs> We'll be right back after these messages. The best-selling novel captured your imagination. Now, how long were you living in the Walmart? Six weeks. Now, 20th Century Fox takes you on a journey. I have no family, no job. I got a baby. Where you'll meet people you'll never forget. I have five children. Do you mind if I drive real slow? I'd like to pretend it's a vacation. Natalie Portman, Ashley Judd, Stalker Channing, and Joan Cusack in the most memorable motion picture of the year. Where the Heart Is, rated PG-13. Friday, only in theaters. He's the Sacramon of the nation. He's the hippest dude in creation. He's a cat in the emperor's new clothes. He's a such selected reading. Generations have been leading to this miracle of life that we all know. What's his name? Coming back with the, the s- second best movie that you're going to talk about in this podcast. I don't know. Well, that's a discussion for the end of the podcast. <laughs> but the song is Perfect World, as sung by Tom Jones. Uh, of Pussycat fame. <laughs> of Josie and the Pussycat fame. Bringing that uh, Las Vegas feel, because that's something we learned when we were doing research on this movie. Is uh, they were This going, is set in Las Vegas. They were going for a Las Vegas, because nothing says uh, Incan Empire like... Las Vegas and Tom Jones. I mean, that's a little right. Las Vegas has a bunch of like cultures represented and caricatures, maybe. Yes, and uh, colonizers came in and took everything. So, is there is there an Incan <laughs> casino? That's the question. I have no idea. Cashew what would Pichu, that even? Cashew Pichu. <laughs> wow! Leave this podcast right now. Oh, uh, but what new is host that? incoming? Nope, that is uh, the opening song to my movie. And what movie is that? It is. Cusco. Released December 15th, 2000. Written by David Reynolds. Directed by Mark Dindall. Featuring the voice talents of David Spade, John Goodman, Patrick Warburton, Wendy Malick, and Eartha Kitt. That is The Emperor's New Groove. Ow! You threw off my groove! I'm sorry, but you've thrown off The Emperor's Groove.
he threw off his groove. He had a groove, and it was thrown off by this interloper. So uh, that that actually that clip was like in the very first trailer, yeah. for the movie. Like I remember being in the theater when this movie was being uh, previewed, and that was like the one thing. I don't even think they gave it away that the main character turned into a llama at any point. It was just might maybe they did. They oh, I have. absolutely can't remember. I remember seeing that specific portion of the preview of the like the groove and the man being thrown out the window, but I can't remember anything else about any of the previews. There was another preview, I think, where they're like going down the river and they're tied to the rock. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah. But I think like they're big the f- scary drop. Bring it on. <laughs> Booyah. <laughs> now, I think the first trailer was a teaser and it was just that scene about Cusco getting his groove thrown off by some old man. Yeah. As him, old men do. And have him throw out the window. But what is that? All right. The, the Emperor's New Groove. <laughs> it's my movie. Where did you first see this? Why is this your movie? Because it's a Disney movie. But here's the deal. This is not the first movie coming out of the Disney Renaissance, but it is one of the first. The Mm. Disney Renaissance of the 1990s is over. It's over. We ended it. Tarzan finished finished things off, and then the new millennium came, and a new era for Disney has started. We should have talked about Tarzan. Why aren't you better at being Disney? I've only seen Tarzan like twice. Why don't you watch good Disney? Tarzan... Hunchback of Natrum. Those pass me by. But um, yeah, I'm like this era of Disney, right? It's like, I think this is maybe the one of the only good movies from like the 10 year period between Tarzan and Tangled. I literally can't even think of what came out in this 10 year. Brave? Chicken. That's a Pixar movie. Okay. Well, Chicken Little. Home on the Range. Brother Bear. I, I I did not dislike Brother Bear as much as the internet did. Meet the Robinsons? I like Meet the Robinsons. That movie's okay, but it is ugly. And uh, like it just doesn't have the, the Your Disney charm. Your attitude is ugly. Bolt, which I do like better than a lot of those movies. But yeah. like, even Bolt's like, eh. Yeah, they were trying something new. They are trying on some new shoes. Yeah, so this is, this is our kind of the end of our run with Disney for who knows how long. <laughs> gonna miss them so bad we, we covered almost every movie in the disney renaissance that's very or at true. least half of them that's very um, true. and uh this is kind of our finale our send-off goodbye disney we'll never have to watch anything related to you ever again <laughs> until they buy it <laughs> i want it i bought it that's just disney <laughs> so uh emperor's new groove uh it was like it was a disney movie it was marketed to me i saw the trailers in the theater and we went and saw it in the theater when it came out um, not surprising. Nope. Um, and as, as we'll learn, it was pretty slim pickings as far as Rod's picks for this year. Uh, I don't have a lot of runners up. And this one won out because probably it was it was shown a lot during school, like substitute days or... Why? D- days where the teacher didn't want to do anything. This was the VHS that we'd watch. Why? The DVD. What could this have done to pertain? Uh, you know what? Nothing. They, they had it us was- watch America. They had us watch... Uh, Napoleon Dynamite in Spanish a couple of times. So. This, this was like the Spanish <laughs> teacher movie. It was, like it's vaguely Latin American, you know. Affair, I guess. <laughs> they don't. I mean, spe- no, it. it yeah, they don't speak any. Big. Like, yeah, they don't. It, it's all like pretty. It's, like it doesn't really represent the culture at all. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Honestly, um, I think that this la- this time watching through it, the lyric about saying like Mesoamerica is that what it says? Mesoamerican history. Yeah, I was like, this is about 
like literally, legitimately. I was just like, what? Oh, I did not well, know the, that. We we did a lot of deep dives into the history of the movie, and I think the movie it started as was a bit more representative of the setting you than the even, movie it became. Yeah, you couldn't even call the movie it was supposed to be like a relative of this movie. They're like, yes. the movie it was supposed to be babysat this movie for its parents when it was a teen, but has not seen it in years. <laughs> <laughs> the, the so like the movie okay Emperor's New Groove uh, for the, anyone who hasn't seen it it's a movie about an a, an Incan emperor named Emperor Cusco uh, who is the best boy <laughs> through happenstance turned into a llama by an evil uh, yes. advisor was not his fault whatsoever and he did not deserve it and uh, it's about him becoming a better person while also trying to become a person again. <laughs> Mm. yes we'll discuss we'll discuss <laughs> that's the gist and uh it was it, it, it's it's the disney movie for the year uh coming out right around the time when you know within a year or two i'd be out of the family film affair you know you're not gonna be friend family friendly rod anymore you're now teenage angst rob soon soon middle school starts in 2004 so Ooh, yeah. what kind of fun treats will we have for the kids then? Who, Delinquency? Who knows? <laughs> Did you you watch this movie in the theater or? I don't remember. Uh, I definitely saw it. Maybe I saw it in theater. 2000, yeah, probably. Um, something, it's in the wheelhouse with my younger sisters. I obviously could not drive yet. So I I could have been left home alone, which I would have just been sitting and reading. They may have done that to me. If but I the, think I saw it with my sisters. If not the theater, where was the first time you saw this movie? Someone's house on a VHS. <laughs> As is right. Did you like it back then? <laughs> yeah. It's a fine movie. And I, I definitely thought it was a, like funny. It was definitely a lot of laughter upon seeing it, you yeah. know? So, That's yeah. the thing. This movie, um, a lot of like our friends, at least like when I got to college, a lot of like the friends I met in college would quote this movie a lot. And I was like, wow, oh, that movie, I guess like struck a chord with a lot of people maybe like people who are like one year younger than me it's like this is like the movie they quote all the what time. are the quotable bits is it just the booyah uh, llama face <laughs> I, I i had friends who why quote also why can i p picture eugene doing that <laughs> yeah i was like i had friends who just like whenever they're sad they would text me llama face and that's to uh you know express that they're sad one that's disappointed adorable. Two, that's stupid. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Hope, hopefully they're not listening. Dumb, but also adorable, but still also dumb. Tell me who they are so I can text them llama face. Nope. I'm just going to text them llama face. It's not happening. So uh, should we talk about the uh, making of the movie? Okay. Because uh, as we talked about, we went a little bit more in depth together than we normally do on the making of these movies because The Emperor's New Groove is the subject of a documentary film uh and it was all about the making of the movie and it's it shows everything this is true uh that documentary is called the sweat box it's a weird name it's meant to represent it, it shows at the beginning of the documentary like definitions of the sweat box and the oh, third yeah. one is like the joke name for what the Disney animators called the test screening room at Disney. Right. Because it didn't have air conditioning at the time. So it was a bunch of like sweaty animators sitting in a room just like literally and figuratively sweating because they knew that the executives were going to come in and critique their film. 
before it's the movie came out. Disney, why wasn't there air conditioning? Bring them, the, bring the heat. You gotta, you gotta make those animators uncomfortable. Disney do better in the past. Anyway, uh, yeah, this documentary was a contractual obligation, and I'll get into that a little bit. But this movie or the documentary had to be made because Disney signed a contract with someone to be involved with the film. Uh, so the movie had the documentary had to get made no matter what. Yeah. But Disney owned it, so they had this documentary that they don't want anyone to see. Yeah. So they're sitting on this documentary, uh, and it's not on Disney Plus. It has never been given a an release. official release outside of like a few theatrical showings mm -hmm. when it debuted, so that it could be eligible for for awards. And from there, it's just been like buried. They've been trying to bury it, and some brave soul uploaded to the internet, and now it can't go away. <laughs> So it's currently on archive.com. Who knows how long Disney will let it be there, but that's where you can watch it. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want to see the wild history of the making of The Emperor's New Groove, that's the, that's the resource. Yeah. I have stuff written down, but um, it's it it's just a fraction of what is shown in that yeah. documentary. Well, I mean, I don't know what you wrote down, but I'm going to assume it is just a fraction. So let's get into it. As we talked about in our 1994 movies episode, Walt Disney feature animation hit it big with The Lion King. Oh. Which had become the highest grossing animated film ever at that time. Uh, shortly after The Lion King's release, the film's director, Roger Allers, began production on his next project, a musical, epic in scale, inspired by Incan culture called Kingdom of the Sun. I love that movie. <laughs> so, Emperor's New Groove, the first title was Kingdom of the Sun. That feels a little bit more uh, Incan inspired. And I actually pulled a few clips from the Sweatbox just to, you know, introduce some of these people involved. So this is Roger Allers discussing his original vision for the movie. After Lion King, I was told, how about developing a story about South American culture? I looked at them and I said, oh, the Incas. So I gathered a crew to do the picture, you know, inspired by a setting like Machu Picchu, the city up in the clouds, up in the mountains. And uh, like, you think about the Lion King, the Lion King was like epic in scale. We actually talked about it on the show, like how they were able to capture an epic feel, even, the movie, even though the movie is like 90 minutes long. Yeah. Um, he wanted to do something similar, but set in the Incan Empire, right? Mm -hmm. Machu Picchu, Kingdom of the Sun. Like he talks about, like the movie had like elements of the creation myth. Mm -hmm. um, it had a Prince and the Pauper story. Yeah. It, it had an evil witch. Yep. Um, it had a romance, a love, like it was just like a lot. Just trying to like squeeze it all in. And um, reportedly, Disney CEO Michael Eisner told Roger Allers that that you've that story. It's got everything needed for a classic Disney film. <laughs> so, based on that praise, and because of Allers' directorial success on The Lion King, he was essentially given free reign to the casting and the storyline. Michael Eisner says, it's all you. Have at it. Yep. Well, I mean, I can, I, I think that like somebody knowing what he did for Lion King, which was just a Savannah and some big old cats. Uh, like, Let's make Hamlet and Joseph, but um, lions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what if they were lions? Um, so I think like giving him this kind of thing made sense but also just kind of hearing like the scope of the things that he wanted, he wants to, like we obviously know it's not what the movie ended up with. And I can see why. Well, I think they like, they even bring it up in the documentary. It's like, 
the animators and the story people were all like, yeah, you know, like Disney has been letting us do a lot of crazy stuff. We're all branching out to like new stories. And mm-hmm. they, they talk about the, the Hunchback of Notre Dame, you know, like just being this grand, like almost like not your typical kids movie. It's fair. not. No, it's not. It's not. So if I, you haven't seen it in a while, kids, it's not a kid's it, movie. It's not. And I think that's what they were going for with Kingdom of the Sun. It's like they wanted to make like a Beauty and the Beast style, like epic movie, mm-hmm. you know, like this. Yeah. And I, but I think like Ma- Mallard does a good job at like paying homage to the place that he's doing it. You know, like it said, he went and he visited these places and he wanted the movie to reflect that in a way that I feel like Disney has moved into a lot in the most more recent things with things like Moana and, um, other things. What came out after Moana? What was the one that just came out? Encanto. Encanto. <laughs> and and things like that where they're actively focusing not just on like, oh, princess in danger, like, but the culture and, and the histories that those yeah, they yeah. represent. He, he definitely, like, his his story definitely respected the Incan culture. Yeah. Because that's what I talk about. Like, talk about, like, the there was, like, the action in the movie, but it was all based on, like, this antagonism between the the sun god and the god of darkness or whatever yeah you know and i'm like oh they're just sounds great yeah they're just being real big i'd read that book yeah and as you mentioned in 1996 the production crew traveled to machu picchu in peru to study incan artifacts and architecture in the landscape this empire was created in yeah uh do your homework do you want me to read the uh synopsis of kingdom of the sun as it was pitched yes Uh, and and anyone who's seen the uh the emperor's new groove uh you'll be able to see what they kept And what they didn't keep. (laughs) Just names. (laughs) Kingdom of the Sun was to have been the tale of a greedy, selfish emperor named Manco, voiced by David Spade, who finds a peasant named Pacha, voiced by Owen Wilson, Mm. who looks just like him. And they show footage. Owen Wilson did the lines for the whole movie with David Spade. Yep. It's like, hey, oh, wow, we look just like each other. Yep. That was. Did you not get that clip? No, I didn't. You should have got that clip. (laughs) The emperor swaps places with the peasant, Prince of the Pauper style. However, the villainous witch Yzma, voiced by Eartha Kitt, has plans to summon Supe, the evil god of death, and destroy the sun so that she may become young and beautiful forever. Discovering the switch between the prince and the peasant, Yzma turns the real emperor into a llama and threatens to reveal the pauper's identity unless he obeys her. That would have been the movie, apparently. I mean... That would have been cool. You see pieces of what it eventually became. Yeah, very tiny, tiny, yeah. tiny pieces. You see the kernel of what would become the Emperor's New Groove <laughs> five years later. Only two names remain the same and only one character the same. Also, blotting out the sun. I don't know that that would make you more beautiful. Rather, it would just put everything in darkness so no one could see how ugly you were. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the... They they interviewed like the character designer for Isma, the original one. Yeah, he left. Oh yeah, eventually. He did. <laughs> You're gonna, he so kids, pa- There's going to be there's going to be a, a a trend of people really being passionate about this and then leaving <laughs> because Disney. <laughs> yeah, like the the character designer was super passionate about Isma's character, and mm. she was like very vain. Yeah, she wanted to look beautiful, and she had wrinkles, and she said, "Well, the sun gave me wrinkles and spots and." All this stuff. So, so the sun is to blame. Yep. And uh, here's another key ingredient in the original vision for Kingdom of the Sun. 1997, hoping to replicate the success he found with Elton John on The Lion King, Allers approached musician Sting of the police to compose several songs for the film. Sting agreed, but on the condition that his filmmaker wife, Trudy Styler, could, quote, 
document the process of the production. And that's the documentary film that was eventually entitled The Sweatbox. Yep. So Sting was brought on to make to write the music, Elton John style. And he said, I'll only do it if you let my wife contractually make a documentary about the movie. Yeah. And that's why she was allowed full access to like animatics, uh, production footage. She interviewed people like she, they got Thing, it all. Yeah. Things that Disney would not. <laughs> and Disney was contractually obligated to let her make a movie yeah. with all that footage. And she did. And it was released. And now Disney's hiding it. Yeah. And uh, I guess some of the footage that she filmed was eventually used in like DVD extra f- features and stuff. Huh. But uh, yeah. But f- high, highly edited. Probably. Definitely cut out all the F words. Yeah. Very profane people involved Disney. Like even Sting. I'm oh okay, but obviously he's British. Yeah. <laughs> and here's where things start getting difficult. Oh, they weren't difficult yet? Nope. Following the underwhelming box office performances of both Pocahontas and the Hunchback of Notre Dame, Disney Studio executives felt, after key test screenings, that the project was growing too ambitious and serious for audiences. Its many elements were not finding cohesion, and it ultimately needed more comedy. And these are some of the most frustrating scenes in the documentary is when they bring the two executives in to test screen the film. Yeah. Uh, so you got Peter Schneider, who we've talked about on Media Made before. Uh, he's <laughs> he's a real person. Like, he's a real kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> he's a real person. <laughs> he... Uh, he fired a director that was uh, obstinate to him, but he kept he like kept on the director that sucked up to him. That's the kind of person Peter Schneider is. It's just not good business. And then the, there's another guy. There's just like they the movie almost paints them as like villains. A yeah, bit. like I, yeah, definitely paints them as indecisive overlords. Yeah, and it's just kind of like at least at the very least it shows that everyone on the animation team fears these men. Yeah, because like they come in. And it's just like, well, your movie, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. Uh, this needs to be changed. Uh, we're going to shut down the movie, that kind of thing. Yeah. And it's it's very tense. Yeah. And so I have some clips from the the test screening scenes. Uh, this is one of those executives whose name I can't remember, but it's him describing what it's like to test these movies. One director described this, Rob Minkoff, who, who worked with Roger on Lion King, said screening the movies like this is having someone chop your hands off and pull your pants down in front of a crowd. And you stand there with stumps bleeding, incapable of pulling your pants back up. And that, that was the experience of screening one of these movies. And it's uh, visceral. Yep. And uh, I was like, that, that's, that does a pretty good job of describing <laughs> some of these scenes. So they, they have a few of these where, like, Roger Allers, even Sting is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they sit down with the executives. They watch an animatic of the movie, right? Like, the animation hasn't even been done. It's like a bunch of storyboards up, you yeah. know, with with uh, the voice tracks uh, and attempt score. And they watch the movie and then they all sit in a boardroom and discuss what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is one of the lines that I, cause I've seen this, I had seen this documentary before uh, this most recent viewing. And this was the line I always remember from it. For me, so much of the movie isn't working. I just don't know who I'm supposed to care about, what I'm watching, pace seems really, really wacky, like just so leaden, and I'm not having much fun. And we haven't done, we have not found a movie yet. And I, I think, you know, story-wise, for me, we're between two stools. We're either a comedy, we're not a drama, we're not a this, we're not a that. That being said, 
I'm relieved at this moment to be able to say the two things I really enjoyed in the movie were the love song and the llama soft. Now, that's particularly convenient given our mm-hmm. entire team that's here. That's today. a good thing. Well, I have to say, I enjoyed the movie far more than I thought I would. Hey, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I enjoyed it. The, the line I uh, like was like, I'm not having much fun. <laughs> like, it seems so, like, uh, petulant. Yeah. I will say, though, all the things he said make me think of the book that I'm reading currently. I was like, yep, all those are correct. I think it takes a special kind of person, and I mean that in the most negative way, to sit in front of a bunch of creatives that have just put their hearts and years of their time in front of you and be like, I'm bored by everything. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to care for, and I'm not having fun. We don't have a movie yet. So Sting's in the room. That's the guy who's like, I just like the movie. You know, oh, shut up. <laughs> right. That was Sting. Yeah. And um, that means that this is post 97 when he was hired. So this is probably 1998. They've been working on this movie for four years. Yes. And the executives come in after all of this work and said, we don't have a movie yet. But you still have the deadline of two years from now. No, I, they pushed it back. I think it was supposed okay. to be a 99, either that or an early 2000s movie. So, it came out in 2000. So. It came out in late, like December. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's either like summertime that year or even sooner. Mm, yeah. Okay. I mean, they pushed it back. I will give them that. But that's four years of work and it's 90. You said 98. Something like that. Yeah. So two years. Yep. And it's it's really funny. Like, I think one of the themes of this documentary is just how wasteful Disney is or yeah. to an outsider what it seems to be because like for these executives and even some of the animators, like this is just business as usual. It's like, yeah, this is very uncomfortable for all of us, but this is just the way it is, right? right. It's like the 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 age old saying, "It is what it is," right? It's not a good saying. But for, <laughs> and it's really great to have Sting as kind of like the main character of the documentary because mm-hmm. he's an outsider and he's just commenting on this whole process and it doesn't make any sense to him. Yeah, and he's like, like or you know, it's like you spent four years and you have this amazing story and you're going to throw it all away or all of this work that was done. You're just going to throw it all away. What? Yeah. You wasted all that time. Yeah. And effort. Yeah. Energy and work. Yeah. Things were created. Yep. Where do they go? And, and every, and so people are trying to explain this to sting and he's just like, I don't like it. Yeah. This is not how I work. And I understand it's like for him, even when he was in a band, it was like, we wrote, we had a song idea and we wrote the song. Yeah. So, yeah, because, I mean, at this point, he has six songs. I uh, don't think there were six songs in the movie that we watched. Uh, So just uh, we'll we'll get there in a second. (laughs) So at this point, it was clear changes need to be made. Clear to who? Clear to the, the executives, I guess. I don't know. The first major change to the production was the hiring of Mark Dindal, fresh off of Warner Brothers' Cats Don't Dance. To to co-direct alongside Allers. So. They brought in this guy. They thought maybe he could bring in a fresh perspective. Um, and I think he brought a lot more of the comedy. Like, I think that's, he was, the, they brought him in because I think they saw his comedic mind and they thought he, they could help like balance out Aller's like, you know, ambitious spirit. Right. right. Um, so that was, that was the first change. Uh, the duo set out over the next year to rework the project story, shuffle up the many parts, and identify the elements that work in order to find the right direction. Mm-hmm. And they did that together. Me- Meanwhile, poor Sting wrote f- six complete songs without having a clear picture of this film's story at all. Uh, yeah. 
just write something. Yeah. But for what? What is going to happen in this? What am I writing? What's the what? And he that that was one of his frustrations. Like they keep asking me to write like a love song, but I have absolutely no idea what the characters are anymore. Yeah. Like who's in love? Are the king is the king of the pauper in love with himself? Like what? What is Isma falling in love with the fake guy? Hey, what's going? On? Is there a love interest? There's a llama. Did the llama fall in love with another llama? By summer 1998, it became apparent that Kingdom of the Sun was not far enough along in production to be released in the summer of 2000 as planned. Which, unfortunately, put executives in a pinch because promotional deals with McDonald's, Coca-Cola, and other companies were already established, and they depended on the meeting of that release date. So, But you, you haven't agreed to any characters. So again, they don't have story. They don't have a story that works yet, but they know they have to release this movie in the year 2000 because McDonald's and Coca-Cola have deals. Oh, wow. That'll put Disney in a bind. <laughs> <laughs> so that just, you know, goes to show the pressure. Yeah. Uh, some some people at Disney were under. It feels know. unhealthy. Yeah. It feels stressful. At this point, a Disney executive reportedly walked into producer Randy Fulmer, who was like kind of the producer in charge of the project. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, I was like, he's very soft-spoken. He had a beard. I don't know if you remember him. No. But he, for him, it was just like, um, he was kind of like the, the babysitter of the the, the team, mm-hmm. right? And he was meant to try and like, you know, appease both sides, appease the creatives and appease the executives. Anyway, an executive walked into his office, he put up his fingers and he angrily stated, your film is, quote, this close to being shut down. Uh, so out of desperation, the executives hosted a bake-off where team members pitched completely different versions of the movie in the end, Dindal, alongside storyboard artist Chris Williams, pitched a scaled-down comedy concept that the executives responded positively to. And that's the version of the movie that they built on to create The Emperor's New Groove. Wow. So it was like Roger Owens, I'm sure, pitched a version of the story that he felt like he wanted to do, like more ambitious and more along the lines of what he had originally wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But then like it was kind of a the, the documentary makes it seem like it was a Hail Mary. It was like the executive was like, we don't like that idea. We don't like that idea. Yeah. And then Mark and Chris were like, well, what if we just do a, a buddy comedy, like a road trip buddy comedy movie? Yeah. About a guy who turns into a llama. And they're like, that's the story. Ugh. Anyway, with the 180 degree shift in direction, Allers left the project. Yep. Which makes sense. It was, it was like, so far away from his baby was taken from him. Yeah. And there's no way that this like 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 I said, right? This is not a homage at all to the culture or the place that it was supposed to be right. built on. Right. You barely even know that it is supposed to be. And this that. left Dindal as the sole director. Um and I'm like, if you got two years left, right? You got two years to make a, a complete movie. Animation, because the story's not finalized. So you yeah. don't even have a script you don't have a script you can't just you can't ask animators to animate scenes that aren't there so you can't ask your voice actors to voice act right. scenes that aren't on a page so you've got two years to make an animated movie which notoriously take forever so i can understand it's like hey we need to make a simple comedy simple nothing fancy yeah it was like they, at that point they had no choice yeah so i understand but yeah it sucks it sucks Production halted for another six months in order for Dindal and a fresh team of creatives to build upon their new comedy concept. And that's where you see all these other animators yeah. who had been interviewed 
like a, a couple of times up to that point, leave. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, well, if Yzma's not going to be this character that I've worked three years on, four years on, then I'm, I'm not going do to do it. Leave. I'm going to go to Greener Passers. Yeah. Yep. yep. Kingdom of the Sun became Kingdom in the Sun. And its release date was pushed back to holiday season 2000 with Disney's Dinosaur taking its place in the summer. Ooh. That movie sucks. <laughs> I feel like you say that every That's time. my least favorite Disney animated feature of all time. Dinosaur. It's horrible. Black Cauldron. It's worse than the Black Cauldron. It's, it's Sword in the Stone. It's worse than that. Like that one's down there, but. Oliver's Company. It's worse than that. It's <laughs> boring. It's ugly. It's obnoxious. I, I don't think I've seen it. it so it, it's it's horrible. Late night television writer David Reynolds was brought in to write the screenplay based on Lindell and Williams' story pitch, cementing the Buddy Road movie that we eventually received. And in February 2000, the new film was announced as The Emperor's New Groove. Oh, wow. It was announced just a couple, well, I guess, like almost a year. And like, there's a scene where they tell Sting what the new title of the movie is. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, someone told me that. And I was like, what is that? (laughs) He was uh, not impressed. It's a pretty like lame title. It yeah. works for what the movie is now, but it's it's not a it's, it's not it's, classy. Yeah, it's weird because it's like I feel like all other Disney um, properties, all other Disney like car- uh, animations, it feel like someone Keith Davis went to them and were like, give that story a name that means something. <laughs> and for this one, it's just like uh, there's a there's a gag about Groove. And there's nothing, it, it has nothing to do with the Emperor's New Clothes. No, which you would think, like, it's alluding to that title, but it's not. No, no. Um, it's just, eh. Eh. It's fine. Yeah. It, I mean, it's it's iconic now because that's the title, but yeah, it's it's not a very good title. No. Voice actors David Spade and Eartha Kitt were retained for this new version of the movie, while John Goodman was brought in to play an older version of the character Pacha, and Patrick Warburton was cast to play a new character named Kronk. That's what happened. So, yep, yep. Uh, <laughs> Owen Wilson got kicked to the curb. I'm sure he still got paid for his time. And uh, th- this was joked about in the documentary, but this is real. Um, apparently, uh, the the Emperor character's name was Manko in the original version. Mm-hmm. It was changed to Cusco because, I guess, Manko is a derogatory slur for... Uh, Lady parts in Japanese. Oh, weird. Yep. So like David Spade jokes about it, but you think he's being sarcastic. But no, <laughs> that, that actually is what happened. <laughs> yeah. So they changed the name You're because like, oh, uh, it was it, offensive. That makes sense. Kids in Japan will not be able to see this because their parents will be like, oh, excuse me. As the film was no longer a musical, all songs already written by Sting and his collaborator, David Hartley, were dropped. Yeah. He wasn't exactly happy about this, but he eventually agreed to stay on the project to write an opening song, a closing reprise of that song, and a credit song. So I would not have. <laughs> but I guess then this film wouldn't have been made. Yeah, that's like the climax of the movie where he like kind of says, like, I don't want to do this. I'm on tour. Um, I was supposed to be done with this three years ago, but fine. He wrote nine songs for this movie. He did. Um, luckily... Um, most of those songs that he did write ended up on the official soundtrack for the movie, mm-hmm. even though they have not- nothing to do with the story <laughs> of the, the final film. Uh, so it's like, if you want to go listen to all those songs that he wrote and then were cut from the movie, they're there on YouTube. All right. Good to know. Yeah. Of the situation, Sting said, quote, at first I was angry and perturbed. Then I wanted some vengeance. <laughs> 
what was the vengeance? I don't know. I, I think it's just like a creative pride thing. He's just yeah. like, I, I could like, you know, drop out of the project and just go on with my life. But it's like, I want to, I don't know, like stick it to Disney like, in yeah, some way. I'll do this and I will never again. And I will tell all my artist friends that you guys suck. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Um, but Sting even had a pretty significant impact on the ending of the film. True. Uh, that I don't know. Should we talk about that now? Because it, it's, it's kind of a spoiler for the, the movie. But let's just say the movie ends with, in the original story pitch for this final version of the movie, uh, the movie ends with Cusco kind of still a, a, a rich emperor, you know, like he, he lives in a lavish palace. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where the movie had ended originally. Yeah. But Sting watched it and he's like, that is completely against my values and what the values of the movie should be. Yeah. Like it's it, the movie at its core is about a, you know, an arrogant emperor learning to be a humble man. Mm-hmm. Right. Why is it ending with him in a lavish palace, like a lavish vacation home with yeah. a water slide? Yeah. It should end with him be like living as a peasant, you know, or, mm-hmm. or like, you know, embracing the 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 role of a, of a lowly man. You yeah. Know, because he's humbled. That's what he said. And they're like, you're right. Sting. <laughs> so thanks, Sting, for the good ending that we got in The Emperor's New Groove. Or else this would have been just as bad at the box office. <laughs> like legit, I think Sting Sting saved the movie in yeah. that regard. Good job, Sting. Good job, Sting. Essentially, the entire animation process was completed in about a year and a half, which is unheard of. That's disgusting. After the story was finalized, 400 artists and 300 technicians and production personnel from Walt Disney Feature Animation in Burbank, California, Walt Disney Feature Animation Florida, and Walt Disney Feature Animation Paris worked to get it all done. That sounds so stressful. Yep. No, that is not, that, that is not, that, we call that crunch. Oof. They were in crunch. Ugh. I don't want none. Yeah, that's, that's not good. I hope they yeah. all got raises or paydays or something. I hope they all got therapy. <laughs> Burn out. That's exactly what that is. More fun. Less than a year before release, composer Mark Shaman was hired to write and record the film's score. We saw this in the documentary. Mm-hmm. After test screenings, Shaman's score was considered too busy. So he was asked to completely redo it, which he did. Which he did. And after a second batch of test screenings with a new score, Shaman was let go in favor of composer John Debney, who wrote his own score, which is the one that ends up in the final film. Yeah. They paid two guys to write three different scores no, no. for the Emperor's New Groove. They they paid f- they paid three guys because we... We got to count Sting in that. I, I guess so. <laughs> but yeah, that's another element of the movie where it's like, man, <clears throat> Disney is just so wasteful. Yeah. And they interview like the original composer and he's just like, yeah, hey, this happens. It's fine. I I'm got paid. paid. Yeah. You know, but I was like, you had to write it twice yeah. and they didn't even use it. That would be very, very annoying. Yeah. And st- I'm sure Sting as a musician is like, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. He takes bo- He takes this guy out for drinks. I get yeah. it, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that is more or less the making of the Emperor's New Groove. It's more. It's not less. It, it's a lot. <laughs> um, and I, I think just to put a bow on everything, I had there's a really great quote from uh, producer Don Han in the Sweatbox. And Don Han is like a like an, a legendary producer at Disney Animation. Like he had been there throughout the whole Renaissance. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like he has a really good perspective on this because it's it's really easy to watch the Sweatbox and just get super frustrated with how Disney operates and you're just like, why are you doing this? You know, like let the creatives be creatives. Like let, let them make the movie they want to make, right? right? Let the artists be artists. But at the same time, it's like, you have to consider like Disney is a business. It needs to, they may, they need to make a movie that's going to appeal to a lot of people. It needs to work. 
Um, and they have to be like, you know, brutally honest if they feel like the movie isn't working. Right. Yeah. And they can't just like string along an, uh, an artist who's making something that's not going to work in the end. Yeah, that's uh, true. So here's a quote from him. The frustrating thing about this movie is there are so many great elements. If I sat down and described it to you and said, oh, we have this movie set in Peru, and by the way, Sting's doing the music, and, and there's Eartha Kid, and by the way, David Spade's in it too, you'd be going, oh, oh my God, uh, where, where do I go? How can I pay my money and go see this movie? And so it's incredibly frustrating when we look at it and say, why aren't the pieces coming together? Where's my movie? Um, and that's where you really have to just stop and say, okay, Let's take those elements, shuffle them up, reassemble them, and try to come up with something that is engaging. So all of that promise of Sting and David Spade and, and Roger and Mark and Randy and the animators, that promise lives up to itself and, and, and in fact excels what the audience expects. And I feel like that's what they did. Yeah. So I think like the, the Sweatbox, and I, this, is felt, this feels like an episode of the Sweatbox right now, but <laughs> like I feel like it... it, it succeeds in showing both sides of the movie and like i think a lot of the times like sting in particular kind of takes the side of the artists but like the movie plays it pretty straight non-biased right it's mm -hmm. like you get a, the, the an mm -hmm. you get an objective view of everyone's perspective and yeah. so you can kind of see both sides it's yeah. like i i can go in there and watch the movie and feel for the executives who have to kind of like be honest and say, listen, the movie's not working. You have all these great elements, but they're not coming together in a way that makes sense or is fun to watch, mm -hmm. right? So in the end, we could have got Kingdom of the Sun in the year 2000, and maybe it would have been a really bad movie, right? Maybe it would have been like Pocahontas or something, mm -hmm. right? Where it just didn't work. Yeah. Um, Pocahontas is great, though, <laughs> but I hear you. So in the end of the day like maybe making the emperor's new groove as it, we know it today was the right choice, but it's still a frustrating choice yeah. and it's a tragedy. Yeah. I like even like hearing all those things. Like I, I like as cool as uh kingdom in the sun sounded, it was a lot. There was a lot going on. There's a lot of elements to um, juggle, right? Like there just were, uh, would it have been interesting? Yeah. But, I don't know. I, I don't know that it would have been super engaging because there are so many things going on. And The Emperor's New Gro Groove is a good movie. It's it just like when you know everything that went into it, you can't help but feel for the artists. Yeah, you know, and you that, feel like you we, we, we lost something, right? It's like there's a movie out there, a version of a movie that we never got to see, right? Yeah. But at the same time, it's like we were lucky to get to watch this version of The, of the Emperor's New Groove because of the documentary. Yeah. Can you guess, like, can you even imagine how many different versions of all the Disney classics there are? I don't want to. When we talked about the Beauty and the Beast, there was a version of that movie with, like, powdered wigs and it's very stuffy in English. Yeah. There, There's a version, the version of the Emperor's New Groove that was originally pitched, Kingdom of the Sun. It exists in a time capsule in the sweatbox. Yeah. So I recommend going to watch the sweatbox. We will share it on Twitter. Uh, it's on archive.com for the time being. So it's a high, it, it's a recommend for me. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about the Emperor's New Groove. No, I thought that was the end of the episode. It's been 50 minutes. Will you take a look at that? Pretty pathetic, huh? Well, you'll never believe this, but that llama you're looking at was once a human being. And not just any human being. That guy was an emperor. A rich, powerful ball of charisma. Oh, yeah. This is his story. <laughs> well, actually my story. That's right. I'm that llama. The name is Cusco. 
Emperor Kuzco. I was the world's nicest guy, and they ruined my life for no reason. True. Oh, is that hard to believe? <laughs> Look, I tell you what, you go back a ways, you know, before I was a llama, and this will all make sense. That's how the movie starts. It's, this is me. Is that uh, in Meteores? Yes. Yes. I bet you're wondering how I got here. Well, <laughs> let's go back in time, and I'll show you how my right life was ruined. I don't, it's, a very, it's a very, like, cliche comedy setup yeah but i'm like they, they, they gotta they gotta make it work right yeah you know and i feel like this movie is a straight comedy yeah i think even knowing that the writer they brought into it was a tv writer makes a lot more sense like it's it's just that opening it's, it's a cold snappy. opening yeah, yeah it's very snappy and it's like to the point you know mm -hmm. it's like joke 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 it know? is very different from most disney movies yes and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the comedy angle in a little bit but that is how the movie starts we meet Emperor Cusco, who's been turned into a llama. And has done nothing wrong ever in his life. And he's the uh, he's the narrator for the movie. He's kind of looking back on how he got into the situation. Who are the other main characters? Who do we meet? Well, um, we meet Yzma. Yzma is the, uh, Beautiful. Emperor, <laughs> the emperor's advisor. Mm. Uh, she, we meet her at the beginning of the movie. Uh, okay, gang, oh, check out this I mean, piece of work. This I'm is Yzma. The Emperor's advisor, living proof that dinosaurs once roamed the earth. And let's not forget Yzma's right-hand man. Every decade or so, she gets a new one. This year's model is called Kronk. Yeah, I got that there, Yzma. Yep, that's Kronk. Now lately, Yzma's gotten into this bad habit of trying to run the country behind my back. And I'm thinking, that's gotta stop. It is no concern of mine whether your family has... What was it again? Um, food? Ha! You really should have thought of that before you became peasants. So Yzma, voiced by Eartha Kitt. Excellent. She, she's great. She is. Uh, she's just like this old, uh, conniving woman who wants to be emperor so bad. She does want to rule this land. Yeah, and like she kind of just de facto leads anyway. And, yeah. But she's constantly getting on. So like she's rubbing up against Cusco. And there's like animosity there. Yeah. The yeah. Because Cusco's turning 19. I think he's turning 18. Like 18. In, yeah. Yeah. So technically, well, I mean, by our our society standards, he's not an adult yet. And seeing that Americans made this, that, yeah. So, you know, he's got a steward to watch over him. And it is Isma. And she doesn't, she, she doesn't, she doesn't really understand how poverty and class work. Yeah. She's like just evil. You know, she's, she's stereotypically evil yeah yeah and like they, they i feel like that opening line it's like you should have thought of that before you were peasants yeah i was like that, that i feel like that that just tells you who all you need to know about yzma yeah and of course we also met crunk in that <laughs> clip crunk crunk beefy beefy crunk played by patrick warburton who's great yeah i feel like anytime he voices anybody it's great yeah um definitely just gets a that great can I? Yeah. That gives you that like great himbo aesthetic with his voice. You keep calling him a himbo because he's like this beefy dude with like a very prominent jawline. And like he's he's drawn very. He looks like a linebacker or something. Yes. <laughs> like a football player. And in the sweat box, they actually interview a character designer from the Emperor's New Groove, like late in production. Mm -hmm. um, when he's introducing Kronk for the first time because they kind of created Kronk out of nothing. Yeah. For this new version of the story. And he's like, yeah, this is Krunk. She's kind of, he's kind of Yzma's boyfriend. Yeah, but I was like, I'm sorry, what? 
I did not read it that way. Fan fiction? He kind of, I, I, maybe that's why she keeps him around because he's easy in the eyes for this old woman. Yeah. But he's a simpleton. Yeah. Uh, he's like comically stupid. Like he's, in that scene, you hear the, the fly buzzing. It lands on his forehead and he smacks himself in the head trying to swat it. He's not the brightest. But he's also the funniest. But he's also kind. He he has inner uh, he has morals and it creates inner conflicts with him. Where, That's true. You know, I think he's he's very simple and like pure of heart. Like he's mm-hmm. naive. Like I think he he hangs out with Isma not because he is evil, but he doesn't recognize that she is like pure evil. Yeah. And when she asks him to do something like extremely immoral, he has reservations about it. But he does, in fact, take part in a scheme of straight out murder. Yes, but he would have probably regretted it after. But he still would have done the murder. I regretted 10 out of the nine murders that I have committed, but I still did them. Kronk's the funniest character in the movie, I think. He's what? the breakout star. Yeah. What about the squirrel? I mean, the squirrel and Kronk are a duo. <laughs> I don't even have any squirrel. I don't have this. I don't have the, the squirrel. The squirrel's literally only in three scenes. I know, but it's like there's a scene where Kronk talks to a squirrel. Squeak. Uh, squeaky, squeak, squicker. That was an excellent impression, my love. <laughs> oh. that, that's, that's what happens. Um, and the last of the main cast, really, is who? Oh, Pacha. Uh, afternoon, Your Highness. I'm here because I received a summons to... Hey, there he is, my main village man. Um, Pacha. Uh, anyway, I, I got this summons. Pacha. That's right, you are just the man I wanted to see. I am? Word on the street is you can fix my problem. You can fix my problem, can't you? Sure, I'll... Do what I can. Good, good. That's just what I wanted to hear. Pacha is a kind-hearted, uh, large man from the village outside of town. Uh, he's a llama herder. He's probably about twenty-three. <laughs> I don't. Know. <laughs> I thought he was like a forty-year-old man. I thought that's what they. He, like Pacha in the making of this movie went from being a the twin of the yeah, king, like you know, uh, the emperor, a basic twin of the emperor to being a forty-year-old man. Yeah. He's, he, so he's just the commoner with the heart of gold. Yeah, really. just a family man. Yeah, leader of a village, responsible. He's he's good-hearted. He's the he's the foil to to Emperor Cusco. Where Cusco is arrogant and selfish. Where Pacha is selfless, mm-hmm. considerate. Stop it. Uh, but what is what is Cusco asking Pacha for here? Why why is why is Pacha summoned to the palace? Uh, to give insight on the lands. You got a pretty sweet little setup there on top of that hill, don't ya? <laughs> yeah, my family has lived on that hilltop for the last six generations. Uh-huh. So tell me, where do you find you get the most sun? Oh, I'd say just on the other side of those trees. When the sun hits that ridge just right, these hills sing. Well, that settles it. Really? Yep, problem solved. Thanks for coming. That's it? That's all you wanted me for? I just needed an insider's opinion before I okayed this spot for my pool. Uh, your pool? Booyah! Welcome to Cusco-topia, my ultimate summer getaway, complete with water slide. What? Isn't it great? It's my birthday gift to me. (laughs) I'm so happy. It's my birthday gift to me. I'm so happy. Yep, Cusco wants to build a summer home on Pacha's village. Like, basically where Pacha lives. He wants to, dem- like, demolish uh, Pacha's house and build a summer home there. Yep. D- displace a bunch of poor people. Yep. 
<laughs> and uh, that's how the conflict starts, right? So obviously Pacha is like, Pacha's bummed. He is sad. And uh, he's he's got to go home and basically break the news to his wife. Uh, in the meantime, it's uh, Cusco's birthday dinner. Do, 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 and do, do, do. Yzma has a plan. What does she want to do? Um, murder a matriarch. And what's the plan? What does she, what does uh, a patriarch? <laughs> <laughs> matriarch was not, monarchy. <laughs> Monarch. Monarch was the word I was looking for. And what is the plan to murder the monarch well, at there, his dinner? There are three plans, but they settle on the last one, which, which is, is poison. They're going to poison Cusco at dinner. And uh, they, 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 you think they succeed. They pour poison into his drink. Mm -hmm. He drinks it. He knocks out. What? A llama? He's supposed to be dead. Yeah, weird. Let me see that vial. This isn't poison. This is extract of llama. <laughs> you know, in my defense, your poisons all look alike. You might think about relabeling some of them. Take him out of town and finish the job now. She's she's also so funny. Yeah. It was like Eartha Kit. I was like they they kept her on because she could do the like traditional. Uh, Disney villain role, which yeah. I think was she was meant to be. She's supposed to be like Jafar or Scar, like very Shakespearean mm -hmm. and evil, right? Where now she's just a, a buffoon, you know, <laughs> like she's a bumbling evil witch. She's doing her and best, and she's so good at it. She's so good at it. Eartha Kitt, may she rest in peace. Yeah, she's a treasure. She's a treasure. She was a treasure. <laughs> um, so last bit of plot. Kronk is told to go finish the job and basically throw uh, Cusco, who is now turned into a llama, just like throw him off a cliff or something. Yes. Uh, but what happens? He cannot do that. But instead, he accidentally puts him on a wagon and that wagon is Pacha's and he gets taken out of the capital. Yep. So they reach Pacha's village and Pacha discovers that uh, the emperor llama is now in his... Uh, his guest. His care. Yeah. Oh, wait. I know you. You're that whiny peasant. <gasps> Emperor Cusco? Yeah. Who do you think you were talking to? Uh, how did... Um, you don't look like the Emperor. What do you mean I don't look like the Emperor? Uh, uh, do this. What is this, some kind of little game you country folk like to... Yeah! It can't be! Ah! Ah, ah, my face, good, my beautiful, beautiful face. Okay, I'm okay, okay, well, wait, 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 wait. Llama face. What happened? There's your llama face. There's your llama face. <laughs> yep, so that is the plot to Emperor's New Groove. It is a, from that point on, it is Cusco and Pacha on a road movie back to the capital so that they can turn Cusco back into a person. That. That is that yeah. is the plan. And they 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 learn about each other. Maybe one character learns to be a better person throughout throughout the journey. Pacha sure does. Um, but I know you have been hinting at it. You want to talk about Cusco's character because you are dead set on convincing me <laughs> that uh, he is not bad at the start of the movie, and uh, he is not good at the end. I, I have absolutely knew it. <laughs> this just seems like a bit, and you're so committed to it. So make your case. Uh, and everyone can see right through you. <laughs> Look, have you watched this movie? Yes. Have you really watched it? Yes. Have you really watched it? It's my movie of 2000, yes. <laughs> so how could you say it wasn't that 
Cusco was, is not in fact arrogant because he is. That's not what I was saying. I was saying he deserves that arrogance as he is the perfect leader. He's not. Why would you say that? Give me reasons as to why you would think that he is not. Well, he's just, he's basically dead set on displacing an entire group of people from the land that they've owned for generations or, to build a summer home for himself. Or a thing he does not need. Or is he creating jobs? For who? Well, the displaced people who are, when we go to Pacha's, uh, what is it? Land, his, his mountain. The only people there, there are old, old men. Pacha's very pregnant wife and his two kids. You don't know that there's like seven house. Like who is watching all these donkeys, these llamas that are all over the place? It's just the Pacha. It's just the one Pacha. There aren't a bunch of people you don't able know that. to do these things. So he Cusco would like to put this summer home on this on this mountain. And in doing that, he's going to create needs. Serve <laughs> people want, to serve to, him. You, people to to clean. People to guard what is the property of the of the emperor, and therefore the property of the empire. Two things: Where are the llama herders supposed to go? Because the llamas serve a purpose in this society. Yeah, it's transportation to the other mountain. Do, is there another mountain? Is yes. it ideal for llama herding? Yes. How do you know this? Because llamas have to move all the time anyway, because what happens with grass eating cattle thing is they rip the grass out by its roots so it doesn't really grow again. So the next season you have to feed, you have to herd the herd to other greener pastures so they can eat to give the land rest. I'm just saying, I, I would argue that Cusco didn't even think about it. Um, and that, why would the emperor share his thoughts with you? He is the emperor, <laughs> therefore he is above all of these things. He would have shared it with his advisor, but she is clearly not for him, which she should be because he knows what he's doing. If I may pull in a real world example here, <laughs> Don't uh, when, you dare. when the city of Los Angeles built the freeway system, they displaced a lot of poor people from their homes. Were those poor people given jobs? Don't bring Los Angeles <laughs> into our Disney. Were they given jobs? Was it better for those people? I wasn't there. I don't know. Historically, it was not. <laughs> it was not a good thing that the city of Los Angeles did. Okay. Without creating a, a secure safety net for those people. They didn't do that. And I am given no indication that Cusco is going to build any safety net for the people he's displacing. Well, he hadn't gotten there yet. He had checked... For the zoning first. His birthday's tomorrow. It's his birthday gift to him. Yeah, his birthday gift to him to confirm that it would be built with his builders. That's not going to be built in a day. It's not going to be built by tomorrow. That's silly. He knows that. He's a very smart man. He's a very smart emperor. And so that was the first step. The next step was going to have to be the other things. But he didn't tell me that because why should he? I am lowly peasant. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Pacha, what, what, what do you have to say about this? I just think if you really thought about it, you'd decide to build your home on a different hilltop. And why would I do that? Because deep down, I think you'll realize that you're forcing an entire village out of their homes just for you. And that's bad. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, nobody's that heartless. Hmm. Now take me back. 
What? Wait, wait! How can you be this way? All you care about is building your summer home and filling it with stuff for you. Uh, yeah. Doi. Me. Everyone else in the kingdom gets it. You're the only one that doesn't seem to be with the program. Eh, Pacha? Well, do you see how Pacha just wanted to displace a different people? That's his solution. No, no one's Put it on displaced. another hill. Put it on another hill. Yeah, well, there are no people to displace. There are people on all the hills. No, there aren't. It's a hill country. I would like you. I would like you to put yourself in Pacha's shoes. I will if, not. If, if uh, he barely wore shoes, President uh, Biden came to, came over here and said, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna level this apartment complex for something." Uh, get out they would just evict us uh and we were given we were just told hey just find another house to live how would you feel housing market is really good right now. no it's not don't lie to me i'm just saying that would be a horrible horrible situation to be told on e on even a an extended notice i don't i don't get what you're trying to say just saying if biden said hey get out of the apartment tomorrow because it's my birthday <laughs> it's my birthday <laughs> You better find another place to live by tomorrow. Could you do it? Could I? How long it? have we been looking for a new place to live? <laughs> Don't you bring that here. This is our safe space. I'm just you saying. You did this to us. I'm just saying, look, sometimes you got to do things that the people who are under you don't fully understand because you see the big picture. Cusco, not Biden. Excuse me, Grandpa Joe. Step out. Grandpa Joe. <laughs> Um, what I'm saying is that he has every right to feeling what we would call arrogant, which is just him being correct about things because he is good leader because he was placed in this position by the gods. And therefore his word is not only law, but it is the law onto the earth. That's nonsense. <laughs> I don't understand. Like, I'm like, I I hope you folks, uh, I'm, I'm, I, you know what? I'm going to enjoy getting text messages <laughs> next week saying, what the heck is Jess talking about? She's insane. I'm not insane. And if you kids would just think a little bit longer, you would see that I'm correct. So I was thinking that when I got back to the city, uh, we'd, uh, I mean, there's lots of hilltops and maybe I might, you know, I, I, I might. Are you saying You've changed your mind? Oh, well, I, I um... Because you know that means you're doing something nice for someone else. No, I know that, I know. And you're all right with that? Yes. That's the Cusco that I say is a good person. Mm. The one that is doing something selfless, something nice for other people. Yeah, I could see where you see that. So I'll, I'll let you live in your world, I guess. Um, but from my perspective, um, I think the movie does a very good job, simple as it is, because not only is this a Disney movie made for children, uh, it's also a bare bones, straight to the point movie that was made in a year and a half. Uh, it needed to be simple and quick to the point. Uh, and they did the protagonist um, hero's journey, main character, flawed main character, learns something, grows, becomes a better person by the end very well and effectively because it's so simple. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. Like the movie is, not, is it 90 minutes? 
Yes. Yeah, it's I think it's like 70 minutes. So yeah, those was like it's pretty short. Uh it's like not one of the longer Disney uh films and they went from like we explained beforehand a large sweeping like tour of a country of a world to the this in a year and a half which again is not a bad movie but it's a lot to like pack in which means it has to be pretty streamlined so i think that like yeah like think what you're saying is true it's it's very point a to point b i think but that's not necessarily bad right like i think it did so well and i think it's easy for like kids to understand and parents to understand obviously to sit through and there's like lots of like great comedy in it as well as like Cusco changes along the way. But do you think it's, or do you personally feel like it's too simple? That's why you, you're trying to liven things up by making Cusco more complex than the movie is making him feel. He is a king. Of course he is complex. But I think like it's interesting to see it from the side of this. Uh, like for all intents and purposes, we don't see any other members of his family. Like he was raised by maybe Isma, maybe Isma, definitely like court people, you know. And, and since he would grow up to have all the power, they probably like gave in to him a lot. So I think that a lot of the mindset that built that a lot of the things that we see him do in the first act of this movie are like built in this mindset of him, like probably feeling like he has a right to like do all of these different things. Right. Where like, it doesn't necessarily make sense. Like that's why Pacha is like, what are you doing? You know, whereas Cusco's like, why wouldn't I? It's mine. It's my land. It's uh, my right to do what I want to do. And of course, somebody's going to have to work the land. I'm not going to clean my own pool. Like this is great for you. You should definitely see this, see that this is great for you. Everyone else is on the same like track. Why aren't you? So, in Cusco's mind, he's seeing things rationally. Yeah. Or to the Cusco sycophant, he's doing, he's doing what's right. Yeah. How could you not see that? <laughs> I'm just saying this little, ex this whole exercise we just did just made me feel like I, I felt most like Pacha than I've ever <laughs> felt in my life. Being told, yeah, what I'm doing is is right as a ruler. It is my right to do this. It, I, I, it broke my brain. <laughs> Okay, you broke my brain just now, and I'm pretty sure Cusco broke good-natured Pacha's brain by being as selfish as 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 and heartless as he's as ever. You know? Yeah, the most heartless, selfish person uh, Pacha's probably ever met is is Cusco at the start of this movie. Yeah, and then Isma. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't think Pacha's met Isma yet. No, not yet. Um, and if you still want to do the bit. <laughs> And argue that Cusco is somehow justified in all the decisions he makes. Uh, what about the point where he leaves Pacha for dead? Cusco! Yeah. Quick, help me up. No, I don't think I will. You're gonna leave me here? Well, I was gonna have you in prison for life, but I kinda like this better. I thought you were a changed man. Oh, come on, I had to say something to get you to take me back to this city. So all of it was a lie? Well, yeah. No, wait. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it all was a lie. Toodles! That man was blackmailing a king who was kidnapped. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Was he in his right mind and in his rights? Probably. He was gonna have him imprisoned when he got home anyway. I'm just saying, the uh, the, the ninth circle of hell. The, <laughs> the worst one is for people who betray their friends. 
Oh, yep. Uh, Cusco would be right there in the mouth of Satan alongside <laughs> Judas Iscariot. Wow. And Cassius and Brutus. Wow. It's still as a llama. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. So Cusco, uh, again, I think this is like the end of Act 2, right? Because uh, Cusco makes the choice to be a bad person still. And yeah, I'm going to leave Pacha for dead. I'm going to murder him. Like, th th that's what he does. Effectively murder. Uh, luckily... I, I, the way I, Batman does. <laughs> I don't know if it's luck and more like by, you know, circumstances uh, lead to him and Pacha accidentally because th that happens on a rope bridge mm -hmm. and Pacha falls through the rope bridge and is going to, you know, he's hanging and, and Cusco is just going to leave him there. But Cusco ends up falling, too, because he has to get in that last word, the it, royal decree. even. Right. And they uh, it leads to an action scene where they both have to work together to get out of this life threatening situation. And that's the point where Cusco finally starts to turn for real. Mm -hmm. And he, he learns to be a better person. And by the end of the movie, he completely changes, becomes selfless, you know, looks out for someone else's self-interest instead of his own. Yeah. Thinks of someone better, thinks of someone more than he thinks of himself. Um, and uh, thanks to Sting, he decides not to build a summer home on Pacha's uh, hilltop. Instead, he decides to move in next door. Yeah. And live as and a peasant. It's, it's simple. Well, I feel like he doesn't live as a peasant. I always think that it's like more of that like it's what he does homestay. It's what, it's what he does on vacation. Yeah. He's just like, oh, I'll be gone. But he he takes in the the rural uh country. You know, he, he you know he, he embraces the lifestyle. So that's that's the for me, that's the strength of the movie. Mm -hmm. it, it's about a, a poor man teaching a rich, arrogant man how to be a better person. Right. Yeah, and I, that was the story they were trying to tell. Yeah, I think it's effective. Um, as simple as it is. Sometimes simple is good. Yeah. And it, again, this is for children. It's it's not complex. And so, it's not, it didn't need to be. <laughs> but let's talk about another character that I know you want to talk about. And <laughs> I can have a more rational <laughs> conversation about uh, Yzma, the, mm. the villain. Because she is also great. And just, Eartha Kit brings it. Absolutely. She's brings funny. character to life. She's funny. Uh, the character is interesting. Great design. Uh, what do you like about Yzma? Uh, her voice. Her low-hanging boobs. I mean, her design. <laughs> they, sometimes they go like... They go like super grotesque with Yzma. Like they like zoom in on her wrinkles and, and eyelashes and stuff. And it's like... It's almost like episodes of Spongebob where they get like super hyper detailed and it's like grotesque. Yeah, like for we comedy, all that. Yeah, I think Isma is uh the greatest kind of bumbling villain, where you're just kind of like, yeah, you know, you're not really in the right, and your plan for misdoing, misdoing, evil doing, mm -hmm. wrongdoing, your plan for wrongdoing is going to easily backfire. But I like the like frustrations of being okay, like the frustrations of being a woman with power, but with a man a younger person even just a younger person over you that does not take their position seriously makes you feel like like i could see how that frustration would build not in positive ways the way she is like kids if you're in such a situation just talk to people like as long as they're abusive you know but i can understand someone of her her generation feeling all of that so watching her like after she gets fired 
smash the heads, like smash his busts while like, oh, She's got got statue heads uh, shaped like Cusco's head, and she's just smashing them with a hammer. That's what a bust is. Right. (laughs) She busts them busts. I was like, she is. She's committed to to the to the evil. Mm -hmm. I feel like um, she's the most cartoonishly evil villain in like maybe Disney's Rogues Gallery overall. Like, I think she might be. Like, like she is almost pure evil in a very comic way. It's like even Scar. And Jafar yeah. and Gaston have layers. Like, yeah. Yzma has a little, a few layers, uh, but she is mostly just like cartoonishly evil. Yeah. Because it's just like she wants to rule just because. Like, that's it. Yeah. She wants power. <laughs> yeah. And she's frustrated at this. And she's frustrated at this like arrogant loser who is the emperor. Yeah. You know, and like this this snotty brat. Yeah. Yeah. So I get, I, I, I get where you're, what you're saying. It's like she's a little justified in her feelings. But she's also just like she's she's so evil, and sometimes like that's fun. Mm-hmm. She's she's like she's like a flamboyant villain, right? Where she's just so evil <laughs> that you're just like, yeah, I love it. <laughs> yeah, and she wins for for half the like half the she movie. does she does in fact yeah because Cusco gets taken away. You know he ends up getting turned into a llama and. She's Pacha takes him leader. home, and she she gets to inherit the throne for a little while. I don't know why. What is the line of succession here? She's he's got no family. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, she was the closest advisor, and nobody knew she was fired. I guess. And uh, she gets to rule. Yeah. And so it is with great sadness that we mourn the sudden departure of our beloved prince, taken from us so tragically on the very eve of his 18th birthday. Oh God. His legacy will live on in our hearts for all eternity. Well, we ain't getting any deader. Back to work. They then proceed to paint over all of like Cusco, like images of Cusco in the kingdom to images of, of uh, change them to images of Yzma. As one should. And uh, it, she, she just she just takes over. She wins. The, ki- the kingdom is Yzma now. Yeah. Yzmatopia. Yzmatopia. Doop, 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 doop. I like that in that scene, the only person crying was Krunk. <laughs> I was like, I'm pretty sure the people didn't like Cusco either. That's fair, but they yeah, definitely aren't going to like more, Yzma more, more evidence on, you know, he was a bad person yeah. before the llama-ing. You know what? A leader doesn't have to be loved. <laughs> Tell that to Caesar. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, Isma's good. Like, I, I feel like as the, all the characters in the movie are pretty stock, right? Yeah. It's like they they are like stock characters, right? Arrogant king needs to become a better person. Commoner with the heart of gold. Comically evil witch. <laughs> uh, you know, simple, the 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 simpleton muscle. Right? You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, all very stock, but they all they're all used to great effect. Yeah. And it's like. Though those tried and true character archetypes, they they work, and when they're put to good use, you know, and yeah. it's like all I think what elevates them all are the voice cast, of course. Of right? course, yeah. It's like Eartha Kitt pull, like knocks it out of the park. She totally she totally gets it. David Spade, I think he's pretty. I, I'm pretty sure he's a pretty unlikable person in real life. <laughs> you know, he does give off those vibes. Something about his 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 voice. Don't say punchable. No, he he, he has a punchable voice. <laughs> It's like David Spade is funny, but like he he is like a sleazy kind of way. 
you know, like it's just his his demeanor is just very like sarcastic all the time. Yeah, I don't know that I would use the word sleazy, but that's because when I use the word sleazy with in talking about a man, it's a very different feeling. Sure. But I would say he does feel very like his attitude feels RBF. You know? I don't know what RBF is. Resting. Oh, got it. <laughs> like, not just his face, it's just his whole attitude feels like at rest, I am. <laughs> I'm a jerk. Yeah. Um, so he he is perfect for Cusco. Uh John Goodman's just he's he's got a, such a warm voice. Yeah. You know, very comforting. Dadly. Mm-hmm. So, Dadly. Uh, that's why Pacha comes off so well. And then Crunk is just like Patrick Warburton. He can do many different types of voices, but it's always him. It's always his <laughs> voice. But he plays, uh, I think it's Brock in um, in uh, the Venture Brothers. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. He plays like the like Indiana Jones style, like secret agent adventure type guy. Mm-hmm. Like just this tough, just tough guy. Oh my gosh. Right? Tough action star. Ford um, tough. Is he, I think Brock Sampson is his name or something like that. Yeah, he's just like he's just this tough action star, and he's great at that. But then also it's like Mm-mm. Kronk is like a tough action star, but he's an idiot. Yeah, and Patrick Warburton plays him great there too. So the movie, despite having stock characters with very simple, easy to understand plot and developments, is done to great effect. Yeah, and it's all elevated by the voice cast. Yeah, and I think that the the story does twist a couple of Disney tropes on its head, right? Like instead of a animal sidekick, <laughs> we've got an animal man character, um, and instead of a like the person pulling the main character around being the like comic relief, they're the straight man, and the comic relief comes from the villains instead. Uh, whereas the heaviness of the the whole to- the whole movie comes from where Pacha is, so there's a lot of things that are like kind of twisted around what you typically get in a Disney build. Um, but it because of that, right? Like it makes it at least when you're with like uh, Isma and Crunk, it makes it more enjoyable when you're with them because you get a break from like the yeah. the like oh my home's gonna be destroyed. Oh, you really don't care. Oh, which are like not like to say that it's a boring thing, like, oh, just get over it kind of thing. But it's usually when you're with in the main part of the story, they break it up with a character who's along in that part of the story, in yeah. that part of the plot, to like not make it as tense, but we have to like fully cut two different people to get that to happen, right? And the when they meet up. Uh, for the scene, uh, the the cousin reunion scene at Pacha's house, that's when you're like, oh, okay, like all of these people can be funny together. Yeah. But yeah. it's um, for the most part separated in ways that you don't normally see in a Disney film. Because it is, it's an A plot, B plot thing mm-hmm. where Pacha and Cusco have the A plot. And it's them trying to get back to the palace to turn Cusco back into a person. But you always jump back to Yzma and Kronk and they're usually just being silly. Yeah. It's just silly because eventually uh, Kronk comes clean and tells Yzma, yeah, I didn't kill Cusco. He's still out there somewhere. So yeah. they, they go on a journey themselves to go and find him so they can kill him, finish mm. the job. <laughs> but you're always jumping back to them and they're just, you know, they're either trying to rough it in the jungle, mm-hmm. like traveling from place to place. And Yzma is being silly in that regard. Or Kronk is talking to squirrels or, yeah. you know, it's like <laughs> he's got a. He he sees an exotic bird. He's like, that's another one for exotic bird bingo. <laughs> yeah. 
Like there, there where you like cut through it, right? I think it's even. I can't think of scene by scene, but it's just kind of like you get the first interaction with Pacha and um, Cusco, and it's like, yeah, I'm gonna put my house here. What about my family? I don't care. Bye. And then you get uh, to see Isma, right? You see Isma before. No, you see you. She fire. He fires Isma, and then he. Uh, tells Pacha about the house thing, right? I think it's, yeah. And then right after that heavy scene, we get wrong lover and figuring out all these things, which is fun. Uh, and it jumps back and forth to um, do that. But like what you find, I think what I find upon like thinking about it right now is that the only time comedy is inserted into the A plot is when they move into the B plot space. So like when they're in the chase going back, um, that's funny. Uh, the like the when they're in the chase trying to make it back to the capital, that's like a funny little montage. But when they're in the lair, in their secret lair, that's when you get a lot of the comedy bits with the like heavy stuff. And but it happens specifically when we're in like the villain's place because the villain hosts comedy in this movie. That that let's that's a good place to jump in. Let's actually let's just talk about how the movie works as a comedy because. Yeah. Honestly, this might be the closest Disney's ever got to a straight comedy. Mm -hmm. You know, just like front to back comedy. Right? Yeah. There's comedy in a lot of div Disney movies, but usually they're grounded with like a romance or like a drama mm -hmm. or like an adventure story. A Rome's build. This this build. one's just a comedy, pretty much. You yeah. know, uh, it's like the comedy is in the forefront, and I think a lot of people hold it up as like, yeah, this is Disney's comedy movie, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's the Disney movie, most like a DreamWorks movie, in a way. That's fair. You know? Um, and in that regard, I, I honestly, I think it does a great job, mm -hmm. right? Despite everything. We talk about like the crazy production and um, everything. They made a very, very funny movie mm -hmm. with many different types of jokes. Yeah. Um, you said that the movie doesn't really use a lot of comedy in the scenes with Cusco and Pacha. I disagree. Mm -hmm. They're just not as outrageous as they are with Yzma and Krunk. One of my favorite gags is um, Cusco and Pacha had just survived like a, a fall down a waterfall, right? Mm -hmm. They almost drowned. So they they wash up on shore somewhere and they're drying themselves off. And Pacha is trying to set up a fire because they're going to stay there overnight. And three times in a row, Pacha just gets the fire lit and Cusco ruins it somehow. Yeah. So like at one point, uh, Cusco is like drying himself off and he like shakes, shakes himself. He shakes himself like a dogwood and it like splashes a bunch of water on this fire that Pacha just lit. And then another time, uh, Cusco is like drying himself off with Pacha's like shirt mm -hmm. and he throws it on the fire right as Pacha lights it. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what the third one is. Oh, he spits. Oh, yeah. Uh, as llamas do. Cusco is like brushing his teeth <laughs> <laughs> and he just spits uh, out right on the fire. So it's like, I was like, that's funny. And mm -hmm. it's like comedy works best in threes, three fire. Uh, that's yeah. a funny gag. Yeah, that's fair. But also it's very, you know, it's, it's not as outrageous as some of the other jokes get because this movie goes from like very simple, like irony or, you know, just a basic gag, like a visual gag mm -hmm. to out this absurdism. And it's all of them are funny. I feel yeah. like most of the jokes in this movie land. Yeah, no, you're you're right. Like even 
20 years later, like there's still chucky chuckle worthy things. I think this is, I think we were saying like, it's an epitome of like the millennial humor. Yes. So I would argue that a lot of like internet humor, millennial humor is built on a lot of absurdism, right? Like mm -hmm. a lot of the jokes that I was laughing at on the internet in the early 2000s, you know, early to mid 2000s, it's all just randomness humor. You right. Know? The, the, the humor of nine gag. Oh gosh, nine gag. You know, and even memes today, it's like a lot of absurdism, you know, yeah. and then like I'm thinking like adult swim shows, you know, Aqua Teen Hunger Force, Tim and Eric. Yeah. It's just absurdist, right? This movie has the absurdist uh, non sequiturs that make good millennial humor. Yeah. And that's why this movie's meme so much, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Why it's still alive. You, you, <laughs> you think of any examples? I might have some clips. Uh, I think the the part where he... Um... Where he was talking to the squirrel, Cusco was talking to the squirrel and then like didn't help the squirrel with something and then falls into a, a vat of panthers and then the squirrel pops a balloon and it doesn't wake them up. The squirrel and he goes, build, ha! the squirrel, a, a squirrel in the jungles of Peru blows up a balloon and builds a balloon animal out of it, which again is just absurd. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's funny. Yeah. And what's the, what's the end of that joke? He pops it and the Panthers don't wake up. And then Kuska goes, ha! And then all of them wake up because he's loud. So that's like several jokes in one. Yeah. You're yeah. Messing with your expectations. That, that's a well-constructed joke. That's a well-constructed joke. I don't have a clip of that one, but I do have a clip. You mentioned this one earlier. Uh, Yzma is describing uh, how she wants to kill Cusco. Mm. And we have a, what I would consider a family guy level cutaway gag. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, how shall I do it? Oh, I know. I'll turn him into a flea. A harmless little flea. And then I'll put that flea in a box. And then I'll put that box inside of another box. And then I'll nail that box to myself. And when it arrives, ah, <laughs> I'll smash it with a hammer. It's brilliant, 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 I tell you. Genius, I say. So that whole scene is done as a cutaway where it shows like, a silhouette of Cusco being turned into a little flea and being put into a box and then mailed to Cusco or mailed to Isma's front door. Um, and I was like, that that's that's like a family guy cutaway. Yeah. You're like, all of that? And then right after, like the joke that always gets me is she accidentally knocks something to a plant and it expires. She's like, oh, or we could just poison him. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, and like you, the the whole like I'll turn him into a flea and I'll mail him to myself and then I'll just hit him with a hammer, which <laughs> is like a very direct, blunt joke, and that yeah. also plays on expectations. So yeah. Again, a very well constructed joke. Also, this movie, despite being set in ancient Incan oh, yeah. civilization and being set in Peru, is very anachronistic. Yeah. She's talking about mailing stuff to each other. We got <laughs> balloon animals. Uh, they go to a restaurant later on that just feels like a Denny's. <laughs> it's true. Um, that, there's a lot of that. Um, and that's that's another element of comedy that I feel like the movie uh, excels in. You know, it it might be a little disrespectful to the ancient Incan cultures that Roger Allers wanted to celebrate. But for laughs, it's funny. Yeah. It is funny for Emperor Cusco to complain about the the menu of a, a Denny's. Yeah, basically like, what is this? Can you, boo -boo? yeah. There's, yeah, there's a lot of like fun gags in this movie. If you haven't seen it in a while, I think you'd enjoy it. Yeah. But um, it 
it's just like one of those things where it's like, I'm never going to be upset that this movie's on. My One of my favorite gags involves Kronk. Because again, Kronk's the funniest character in the movie. Mm-hmm. And early in the movie where Yzma sends him to finish the job, he needs to kill Cusco, like throw him off a cliff or something, right? Uh, Kronk is having a... a crisis of faith. <laughs> crisis of conscience, mm-hmm. right? And he's like, am I doing the right thing? Should I kill this this defenseless person for no reason? And uh, in true like Looney Tunes fashion, a devil and angel appear on his shoulders to t- basically talk to him. Mm-hmm. You're not just gonna let him die like that, are you? My shoulder angel. Don't listen to that guy. He's trying to lead you down the path of righteousness. I'm gonna lead you down the path that rocks. I'll come off it. You come off it. <laughs> you. 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 You infinity. Ah. Listen up, big guy. I got three good reasons why you should just walk away. Number one. Look at that guy. He's got that sissy stringy music thing. We've been through this. It's a harp, and you know it. All right. That's a harp, and that's a dress. Robe. Reason number two. Look what I can do. <laughs> what? What does that have to do with me? No, no. He's got a point. No, no. He's got a point. Well, he was like a thousand jokes. Yeah. There's a, a, a joke a minute. Yeah. Is that... <laughs> It's so silly. It's extremely silly, right? To have a, a angel shoulder angel gag in the movie, but then like it's like reason number two. Look what I can do. And he does a handstand. <laughs> His, oh, excuse me. He does a handstand and then one arm push ups while standing on his one hand and re- like normal crunk is like I don't understand what that has to do with anything and the sh- the, the shoulder angel is like no no he's got a point. <laughs> it's like it's so stupid. <laughs> And then they bring this gag back at the end and it gets even more absurd uh, because uh, during the, the film's climax, uh, Yzma throws Krunk a dagger to stab Cusco and kill him, you know, yeah. and he has another crisis of conscience. Finish them all. Hey, you're not backing down now, are you, big guy? Uh, where's the other guy? No! Sorry, I'm late. So, what I miss? Well, Isma just tossed me this knife and asked me to, you know, take them out. And then this guy popped up, and then we waited for you. And quite honestly, Crunk, why did I think you could do this? This one simple thing. It's like I'm talking to a monkey. Whoa, now. A really, really big, stupid monkey named Crunk. Ouch. And do you want to know something else? I've never liked your spinach puffs. <laughs> never. <laughs> That's it. She's going down. <laughs> it was on Cult 4. It's like, I love so many things about that. I like another anachronism. The, 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 the shoulder angel pops up and he's got like like a salon curler. What, what is that thing? Like a hair dryer thing? Yeah. You, yeah like yeah, an yeah. old school, like 80s one. You hair put dryer. a hair dryer thing. Yeah. Um, you got like curlers on. And then um, the, the angel asks him, Oh, what's what going I on? But I, what I miss, and Kronk is explaining what he's missed, and the camera then pulls out and shows Cusco, Pacha, and Isma all watching Kronk talk to himself, <laughs> and they all just go, mm. <laughs> and so that's a very meta joke. Yeah, it's good. And then Isma insults him and says she doesn't like his spinach puffs. How dare! Which all three Angel, Devil, and Kronk all go. <gasps> <laughs> And Krug starts to cry. And then the devil pulls out his his trident, you know, in, in a cartoonish way. 
and he cocks it like a gun. <laughs> That's what you get there. <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> but I love it. It's just one hit after hit after hit. It's yes. such a, it, it's like so well played. It is. And uh, the last act of the movie, like the climax, uh, the big finale. Is, is that my voice? <laughs> it's a straight up Looney Tunes cartoon. Uh, it's a chase scene. Yeah. It's almost, or even like a Scooby-Doo chase Hanna-Barbera thing where they're all running through doors. Yeah. I, w- I would say it's closer to that. Definitely it is either. super cartoonish. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think Disney had never gone that cartoonish. Maybe in the Sword and the Stone at the very end where Merlin's fighting the uh, the witch mm. and turning into animals. It feels very much like that, but yeah. even more Looney Tunes. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. If you want to see what Disney, Disney and its most Looney Tunes, watch The Emperor's New Three. <laughs> uh, you, you, you alluded to it there, but Yzma, something funny happens to her. She becomes the cutest little kitten. Bring the potion! Okay, okay. <gasps> Where did it go? Where is it? <laughs> Looking for this. Is that my voice? Is that my voice? Oh, well. Oh, well. <laughs> so the, the, the villain of the movie turns into a little cat and stays a little cat. Forever. It's, she's got the perfect dis- disposition for being a cat, though. Cranky swipes at people. <laughs> So I think all in all, The Emperor's New Groove, despite the troubled production, despite a very simple plot, right, that seemed very, could be very cookie cutter, Mm -hmm. right, and and just superficial, despite the the leaning back on comedy, right, this movie succeeds on almost every level, I think. Yeah. Like, surprisingly, it came together to make a good movie. Which, you know, also makes me a little bit sad because that makes Disney think, well, we could do that then. Like, we could do a movie. No, don't do that. This is a good movie despite Disney. Yes. And despite itself. It is an exception to the rule. Right. This movie should not have been pulled off. It is a testament to the creative minds who are able to scramble and put something good together at the last minute. Yeah. Despite everything else. Yeah. Um, It should not have gone down that way. No. This is a miracle movie. It's a miracle (laughs) that it worked. Mm. Um, so it's like, in the end, do I recommend The Emperor's New Groove? Absolutely, despite itself. It's like, this movie shouldn't have worked. It should have been silly. It should have been forgotten a long time ago, mm-hmm. like like Home on the Range or I'm like trying to think of like what 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 crappy dis- DreamWorks movies were they making? Like Shark Tale, right? Mm-hmm. This should have been a, a you know just a product of its time, right? Yeah. Forgotten like Shark Tale was, <laughs> but it wasn't, and it's actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it succeeds on all the levels it needs to. Yeah. Yeah. Can't it, disagree. It's got comedy and it's got the, the heartfelt, like it's got the, the Disney heart in there as well. Right. Which I think a lot of it comes from John Goodman's character, right? Like John Goodman just being a good character and Pacha being the, like the soul of the movie. Oh, so you're saying John Goodman is where the heart is? Yes. John, John Goodman is where the heart is. <laughs> you hear that bomb, bomb, bomb. That's Pacha. <laughs> Forney, <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I was like, this this is a good movie. It's a success. It's a success, but you, not part of the Renaissance. Would you recommend it? Yeah, I'd recommend it. It's the I la- have recommended it. <laughs> it's the last good Disney movie for a long time, for at least a decade, in it, his opinion. It's a better. It's a better turn into an animal movie. Need to get back to being a person than uh, Princess and the Frog was. But not better than Shaggy Dog. <laughs> with with with, 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 with uh, what's it, who was that? Tim Allen? Was it? Sh- yeah, the Shaggy mm. Dog, Shaggy Da. 
gross. <laughs> yeah, I, I recommend it. It's great. Yeah. Um, it's on Disney Plus. Go watch it if you haven't seen it in a while. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't hit the heights of something like Beauty and the Beast or Lion King, but it's a solid movie. Yeah. That you chuckle at. Yeah. Honestly, this is one of those like you put it on like this is like a good family movie. You yeah. Know? Or like you got the nephews over. Pop it on. Yeah. I wonder if our nephews have seen this movie before. I don't know. Anyway. Yep. We recommend it. Yeah. But the real question is, what did the world think? Ah. <laughs> Despite making back its ballooned budget, The Emperor's New Groove was considered a box office disappointment, <laughs> grossing considerably less than any of the Disney animated films of the 1990s. I mean, but they they made six movies before this one came out. Yeah, so I that I mean, the fact that it beats that is ridiculous. It's like the 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 shine was off of Disney by this point, unfortunately. Mm. You know, like they would have to they wouldn't recover until probably like the Tangled Frozen era. Mm-hmm. You know, and now they're they're in like what people consider the second Renaissance. That's because they own a platform. Yeah, <laughs> and but- all the superheroes. So, yeah, Disney was on the decline at this point, Mm. financially and critically, unfortunately. Uh, The film ultimately made $89.3 million at the U.S. box office and an additional $80 million worldwide for a total of $169.6 million. Dang. Uh, The lowest box office earnings for an animated Disney feature since the 1980s. Dang. But despite its turbulent production, The Emperor's New Groove was a strong critical success. Hmm. Critics did note the film lacked the ambition of Disney's past films, but still praised its comedy, characters, and heart. It's where the heart is. <laughs> Grandpa Ebert, for example, said, quote, It doesn't have the technical polish of a film like Tarzan, but it is a reminder that the classic cartoon look is a beloved style all its own. Entertainment Weekly described the film as a, quote, Hip, funny, mostly non-musical, decidedly non-epic family picture, which turns out to be less of a hero's journey than a meeting of sitcom minds. Yes, agreement. (laughs) While Empire Magazine called it, quote, an attractive, generally enjoyable concoction, but never really hits the comedic or emotional targets full on. Fun, but quickly forgettable. (laughs) I mean, that's more wrong because we are still talking about it 20 minutes later. 20 minutes later. We're talking about it 20 (laughs) minutes later. Yep. And Variety said the film, quote, may not match the groovy business of many of the studio's other kid picks, but it will be remembered as the film that established a new attitude in the halls of Disney's animated unit. Groovy business? It was like that. Who wrote that? Someone who was 80 years old? Yes. Ismo wrote that. <laughs> Whoever wrote that Variety article is proof that dinosaurs once walked the earth. <laughs> a few snobs still lamented the film's tone in comparison to Disney's previous output. The Austin Chronicle, for example, said the film, quote, suffers from a persistent case of narrative backsliding that only serves to make older members of the audience long for the days of the dwarves, beauties, and poisoned apples of Disney yore, and younger ones squirm in their seats. It's like, I feel like little kids would really like this movie. I feel like they're saying, hey, there was a demographic Disney was aiming for, and they hit that demographic, but anyone else, that's what they were doing. They were hitting the demographic. Young kids would squirm in seats anyway because they would be laughing. Yes. And they're just not used to sitting (laughs) for long periods. The Emperor's New Groove, chiefly the Sting song, My Funny Friend and Me, was nominated for Best Original Song at the Academy Awards. The song was also nominated for a Golden Globe, a Grammy Award, and a Golden Satellite Award. And it won a Broadcast Film Critics Association Award. Oh, wow. 
So yeah, that's probably the most uh, acclaimed aspect of the movie <laughs> is the credit song that Sting wrote. And I bet he feels vindicated. The Emperor's New Groove also won three Annie Awards for individual achievement in character animation, individual achievement in voice acting for Eartha Kitt, mm-hmm. and individual achievement in music for Sting and David Hartley. Those individual awards were were, were well assigned. <laughs> and what of the legacy of The Emperor's New Groove? The Emperor's New Groove spawned a soundtrack album, which included many songs that were originally written for Kingdom of the Sun by Sting and David Hartley. Uh, I recommend listening to some of the songs. They're actually really good. Yeah. I haven't done it yet. The Lama Rama. <laughs> the Lama Rama. What? That's a song or something. What? The film also spawned a line of McDonald's Happy Meals toys, Disney Park character attractions, a PlayStation video game, a Game Boy Color video game, and an entry in Disney's Activity PC game series. But did it make it to Kingdom Hearts? No. Well, I don't think so. Well, you haven't really made it then. <laughs> As mentioned earlier, a documentary about the film's production, The Sweatbox, was produced. The film premiered at the 2002 Toronto International Film Festival and had a very limited theatrical run in Los Angeles to qualify for award season, but it has not seen an official release since. (laughs) Disney owns the rights and has used some of the footage for the Emperor's New Groove's DVD special features. The Tokyo Disney Sea roller coaster attraction Raging Spirits took visual inspiration from the film's Incan architecture. I don't think from the like film itself, like you won't see Cusco on this roller coaster. Oh, okay, okay. Just the the Incan designs. Got it. The the Incan Vegas. Zone. Yes. <laughs> Two thousand five saw the release of Kronk's New Groove, a directed DVD sequel slash spinoff, which I have not seen. I've not seen, but I do remember seeing it. I mean, posters or whatever. I remember like trailers for it. Yeah. And a television adaptation of The Emperor's New Groove, titled The Emperor's New School, ran from 2006 to 2008 on the Disney Channel. I think I've seen, like, one episode of it. It's a prequel of when he goes to school, or goes to college, or something, and uh, it's not good. Um, I'm gonna agree with you, even though I haven't seen it. And where did all the filmmakers go from here? On vacation. Uh, I mean, I, some of these people went on to do big things, and then some of the people who... This was like their last big gig at Disney before they left and did lesser things. Roger Allers, the original director, directed one last project for Disney, which was 2006's short film, The Little Match Girl, which is fantastic. It is really good. It is like very touching. Yeah. Uh, It's a great movie. Great little short film. Mm -hmm. After leaving Disney, he went on to direct the 2006 Sony animated feature, Open Season. Oof. And the 2014 Selma Hayek produced animated feature, The Prophet. It was like open season. Ugh, <laughs> not good. <coughs> the Ashton Kutcher uh, road. Yeah. Road. Uh, Roadkill. Roadkill movie. Wow. And uh, I, I think The Prophet, Selma Hayek's The Prophet is actually good. I so. never even heard of it. It had prestige. Uh, I'm just saying, imagine going from The Lion King to open season. Look. We can't have. We have to have some. Man's got to make stinkers. a living. Director Mark Dindell directed one more animated feature, 2005's Chicken Little, uh, which is not good. Before <laughs> you, his- historically, it is proven that you do not like it. Uh, he has since left Disney and has acted as an artist and illustrator on a variety of projects, and he is currently directing the new Garfield movie. Why do we need another one, sir? Sir, we don't need another one. 
<laughs> this one's I think like animated though. It's not. Sir, it's not Bill Murray. We don't need another one. <laughs> and writer Chris Williams stayed with Disney until 2018, having directed 2008's Bolt, 2014's Big Hero Six, and 2016's Moana. All of those movies are good. So like Chris Williams is the guy who saved the Emperor's New Groove. I think like all in all, like he's the one who threw the hail mary. Said mm-hmm. let's make a buddy comedy movie out yeah. of these little disparate pieces and yeah. made a good movie out of it. It's like that guy stuck with Disney mm-hmm. and made a couple of their best movies from yeah. the last like decade. So I haven't seen Big Hero Six since it came out, but it was really good. Yeah, and Moana is also really good. Oh, absolutely. Anyway, he is currently directing a film called The Sea Beast for Netflix. By that title, I can't figure out what it's about. Don't know. (laughs) But that's The Emperor's New Groove. Ah. Uh, And of course, the real question is, was it better than Where the Heart Is? No. I disagree. (laughs) Nope. But here's the deal. You agree. I I don't hate Where the Heart Is. We we talked about it. It's a very deep movie. Has Mm -hmm. a lot of really great ideas. The Mm -hmm. cast is great. Mm -hmm. I think it just doesn't come together as like cleanly, effectively as the emperor's new groove i feel like the emperor's new groove is effective in its simplicity mm-hmm. you know it, mm-hmm. it's not trying to do too much mm-hmm. and it it achieves just as much as it needs to and mm-hmm. i think it's just a solid movie i'm not saying it's that much better than where the heart is but i do think it's better i think that the new groove of the emperor is good um and i wouldn't say like some of your other movies that it was like oh it's the worst thing mine is so much better but for me personally i am more about character and stuff i think i'm really feeling that a lot more lately with some of the media that i've been taking i was like this would be good but i hate this character and so it's it's the fifel problem where it's just kind of like i don't i can't stand you so the whole thing is wrong the whole thing is bad but 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 i don't feel right i don't feel that way i don't feel that way about this movie but i do feel the characters are stronger in where the heart is so that's why it's my choice. So like both movies are good, but what do, am I going to say is better? Which one would I, like we knew this, which one would I put on more? You know, like if if we were in here and you like, if we had TV and we were like, oh, Nimper's new groove is on and you put it on and I happen to see somewhere else that, that where the heart is is on, I would change the channel. <laughs> Whereas if it was flipped, I wouldn't. But I know and that I, you would do it the And other I would way. do the opposite. Exactly. Yeah. So we split this to the kids. And we're splitting. T- yep. We're, we're, going, we're throwing this to Twitter. And Instagram mm-hmm. at Media Made Show, both platforms. You help us decide which movie's better. Is it Where the Heart Is, or is it The Emperor's New Group? You know where the answer lies. At the Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> go, go to your local Walmart. Tell us if either of these movies are on the shelf. I'm just gonna post pictures of Walmart. <laughs> I'm telling you, you're more likely to see The Emperor's New Groove on the Walmart DVD shelf than you are the Where the Heart Is. I'm just saying. I'm not gonna see anything in the Walmart. <laughs> Uh, but that's that. What's next on our agenda here? Runners up. So we don't have a lot of runners up for you this year, my friend. Yeah, uh, slim pickings. Slim, very slim, standing on two slim legs. If we were not watching Emperor's New Groove, we could have watched the Rotel Dorado. Okay. Funny the thing about Rotel Dorado. Best gay cartoon to come out of <laughs> 2000. <laughs> the, those those guys, have, they give some energy. <laughs> um, the Emperor's New Groove is the DreamWorks film from the year 2000. Um if you recall, friend of the show, Petty A-Hole Jeffrey Katzenberg. Not friend of the show. Used to work at Disney. 1994, he was fired from Disney. Mm-hmm. He immediately left to help found DreamWorks Pictures and start a new production company, right? New animation studio. Yes. Um, he has... So before he left, he knew 
Disney's slate of projects. He knew what was being worked on and and what the the topics and the subjects were, right? What yeah. the settings were. I th this may just be a theory, but I'm pretty sure Jeffrey Katzenberg has been pushing DreamWorks to make movies to directly compete with Disney's output. Yeah. 1998, and again, he knew that Disney was working with Pixar to produce a little film called Bugs Life. Well, he pushed DreamWorks to make Ants. Ants, which is the better movie, in my opinion. He knew in the year 2000 they were going to release a movie set in uh, South America, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Emperor's New Groove. He pushed them to make The Road to El Dorado. Which, again, is a better movie, in my opinion. <laughs> Road to El Dorado is good. I, I, it's hard for me it's to say the which characters me. for me, bro. <laughs> I, get, I get it. Uh, so, yeah, just saying. I think He that, knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. DreamWorks, The Road to El Dorado was made directly to compete with The Emperor's New Groove, which yeah. is very funny. But... Emperor's New Groove won out for me because school. Yeah, I, I feel like later I want to go and see which did better at the box office because I think that'd be interesting facts. Yeah. Um, but we also could have been watching The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. How The Grinch Stole Christmas. The one with Jim Carrey as The Grinch. The, 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 the Grinch. That, that freaking movie. So that movie's <laughs> horrible. I watched it when it came out in the theater because, like, we all had watched the cartoon, mm -hmm. you know, and it was a novelty to see a live-action adaptation. Not anymore. Uh, it's better than The Cat in the Hat, I'll tell you that. That is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> Cat in the Hat with, with uh, Mike Myers. It's horrible. But The Grinch, How the Grinch I Stole Christmas is noteworthy for my life because that is the first DVD I ever watched. Oh. I remember that because my, my neighbor, Derek, uh, they rented... They had just got a DVD player, mm -hmm. right? It was like, I'd never seen a DVD player before in my life. Yeah. And they rented How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And we went over to the house and we watched that on DVD. And we were playing around with like the DVD extra features. Mm -hmm. And early in DVD, they used to have games on kids' oh, DVDs. Oh, yeah, true. Like crappy remote games. Real bad. And we played the crappy remote games for How the Grinch Stole Christmas. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Also, you sounded so old. I'd never seen a DVD player in my life. Do you remember what your first DVD Absolutely was? Absolutely not. I barely remember what I have on my feet currently. <laughs> and let us know what your first DVD was on our Forums. Twitter and <laughs> Twitter and Instagram. On our Reddit. Just kidding. Subreddit. Just kidding. We don't have any of those things. You, If you want to create a subreddit, go ahead. Me? But not us. Oh, okay. No, you kids out there, if you want to... <laughs> That sounds like a terrible idea. Don't do that. Yeah, we're, we're not going to do it, but you do it. Um, yeah, and that's it for you. Uh, for me, if we didn't watch uh, Where the Heart Is, we could have been watching X-Men, the first one. Okay. <laughs> it was fine. That movie's totally fine. Yeah, it is. It uh, is fine. What happens when a frog is struck by lightning? Same thing that happens to everything else. <laughs> I mean, you're quoting lines, so you must have really liked it. You know, people hate X-Men 3 and they say it's like bad. I was like, I feel like the first three X-Men movies are all equal quality. <laughs> I was like, the first X-Men movie is the same as the, the third one. They're, they're all like, j they're just fine. They're fine. <laughs> Very early 2000s with black leather and <laughs> spandex. Um, we could have also been watching Love and Basketball, a thing you've never seen in your life. Is that a Spike Lee joint? We could have also been watching. I have no idea. Well, what is that? What is that movie? It's a movie about love and basketball. It's a movie. It's a black movie. Okay. It's a movie about um, 
two kids who grew up next to each other, a dude and a uh, a woman. Well, a boy and a girl grow up into a man and a woman, and they both play basketball, and they're friends, but then they're also not friends, but then sometimes they're dating, and then sometimes they're not, and then they're both competing to go pro, not with each other, because obviously they're in different leagues, but like they're also not taking each other's dream seriously but then they are as well it's a lot it's complicated it's complicated sounds like a an uh, nba 2k story mode <laughs> i don't know what that means that's fine i didn't know what you're talking about <laughs> uh we could have also been watching bedazzled was that with brennan fraser yes and he's he sold he his soul for seven wishes makes he makes a deal with the devil mm-hmm. i i watched that movie at my friend michael's house when he had uh, HBO, uh, and we watched it, and I was like, "This is weird." Yeah, I, I feel like I probably shouldn't have been watching it mm, at that time. How old were you? Eight years old, nine oh, years old, maybe. No, 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 yeah. no, no. Yeah, a lot of sex jokes and there stuff. There was that a lot went over my head. It's funny. There's a lot of like drug joke. There's a. We should watch it. I think that you'd really find. Okay, I haven't watched it in a couple of years, so maybe it'll be cringe. It'll be like, oh no, but we should because it's so stupid. Like, I re- I'd rewatch way. it. Yeah. yeah we doesn't totally doesn't do he like contact the devil with like a crappy phone? Yes. Like a cell phone? Like yes. a, an early 2000s cell phone? Yes. So, yeah. Yes. Product of its time. Ugh. Um, and we also could have been watching uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which I think is hilarious. That movie's so funny. If you like Iron Man 3, <laughs> I don't. Uh, you like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. It I is, hate Iron Man 3. It's it, the worst Iron Man. But it's Robert Downey Jr. working with writer-director Shane Black to make a neo-noir Christmas film. It's real good. It's real good. Like, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is really good. It I, I really turned good. you onto that movie. Yeah, that's true. It is. I also have a clean version of it because I think there's some scenes in it that are like, mm, I don't want to Yeah, that. yeah. Like, there's the, the movie is like... R rating, so it's got a few things that like I think it's just got like nudity and stuff. Yeah. Um, I made you a t- my own TV edit <laughs> of the movie just for you. Thank you. I don't think it, you know. Kid- so kids, if you want to watch it, I have a TV edit for you. <laughs> it's hilarious though. You begun, um, Mr. Falcon. And the last movie I know I have a lot of runners up, but uh, it was a movie year for Young Jess for some reason. Could have been Remember the Titans, which I really still think I should rewatch. I feel like I'm in the mood to be sad and angry about America. I feel, I feel like I watched that movie a lot too, though. You know, that might be a runner up for me. Like, not as much as the other ones, but. it It's a it's a really good movie. And I think I, I still quote that movie a lot. I haven't seen it in years, though. Sunshine. Sunshine. Remember, yeah, no, that, that's a, that's one of those, like, it, it feels a little Oscar baity, you know? Like, mm. it's like a little on the nose sometimes. But it is a good heartwarming movie. Uh, has the feels, you know, it's it, heartbreaking, heartwarming. We should have a, a sports movie night uh, where we watch Remember the Titans, Coach Carter, and something else. Love and basketball. No. <laughs> we can't do that in mixed company. <laughs> but we should do those, but it would be like the most harrowing night because all of those have like such low lows. We'll watch, like, a, we'll watch a Cinderella Man. No. The, the boxing one. Absolutely not. It's a black night. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've, I the, just the blind this side. To do. Oh, we could do the blind side. <laughs> Look at that. Look, we got it all. We got it all tallied up. We'll invite. We'll invite our sports friends. But that is. Uh, that's it, right? It's the end of our show. Yeah. Actually, you know what? We should like wait until King Richard comes out so that we can do basketball, football, and other sport. Tennis. <laughs> I don't want to do do King do Richard, two football King movies. Richard. Get a He's key. King Richard. Yeah. And also those other two are both like biopics. So we should we should do that. Anyway, 
Rudy. I don't want to do Rudy, though. I hate Rudy. That's our show plugs. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter and on Instagram at Media Mate Show. So if you like what we got going on, you can check those out. We share, we'll probably share some songs from these movies. Yes. Uh, we will, like music videos. Yes. We put up polls. We share pictures. Yes. Uh, we ask you a question. So engage with us on those platforms. Get engaged with me. <laughs> My husband doesn't mind. He does mind. Don't get engaged with me. Uh, you can do us some favors. You can follow the show on your podcast platform of choice. Write us reviews. Five stars, wherever you can. <laughs> Let us know you're listening. Tell a friend. Tell a few friends. Tell your mortal enemy, Yzma. <laughs> Tell your himbo boyfriend. <laughs> um, as for me, you can follow me on Twitter at RodTheMaster. Um, I like to retweet pictures of Kirby and Pokemon sometimes. And Sonic the Hedgehog, apparently, recently. <laughs> a lot of Sonic art up there. Um, I host a wrestling YouTube show called Keep Kayfabe. It's K-A-Y-F-A-B-E. Um, very soon we'll have an episode on WCW's Cobra. So be on the lookout for that. And I write for a video game website called ZeldaDungeon.net. So if you like Zelda, check that out. If you're looking for me personally, I have a YouTube called Taming Tales. I don't have anything up. I was planning to have something up this month. But you know what they say, the best laid plans of Whitman. It's not, it's not going to happen. Hit it, with, <laughs> hit it with a hammer. Hit it with a hammer. <laughs> and with that, we're going to close out our show. So... Um, just to, to honor the movie that never, that was never made kingdom of the sun. Uh, there is a song that was to be the villain song of kingdom of the sun. It would have been Yzma's villain song because that's the tragedy of the emperor's new groove. Yzma never really got a villain song in the movie. Yeah. Um, but she would have had one in kingdom of the sun. And it, it would have been sung by Eartha Kitt. And Eartha Kitt recorded that song and it's on the soundtrack for the emperor's new groove. It is a song called Snuff Out the Light, Yzma's song, and that's what we're going to close out with. So Sounds terrifying. Enjoy that, and we will see you all next time with our music of the year 2000. And remember, kids, it's, it's really impractical to try to crush a flea with a mallet. You'd miss it. It'd jump. Snuff out the light. with glee the promises you made to me i've really stopped at nothing murder treachery and lying whatever it takes to keep my looks you really can't blame a girl for trying ah.